So obviously you believe him? Arst? I don't know, but I'm not taking any chances. You think you'll be ready by tomorrow? Man said not a day to waste. Supplies all set, you got food, fresh water, everything. Okay, no offense, but uh, I got work to do. Why the sudden interest? Because I'm going with you. On a peach bomber, runaway Canadian dream. Since then, she's become the MVP leader of Oceanic 815. Polar bear cages in season three are coming your way, but thankfully, not for a while. Whoa, long before we have to go back, Kate is gonna get a spot on that raft. We are almost on with season one. Yeah, this episode of Lost, baby, it's come full to run. Lost is over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. And oh my God, Mike Bloom, it's the third Kate Austin flashback episode. I... I'm stunned into silence, <laughs> much like many of the losties. I just want to thank Bruce Wigstein for being here. Bruce and the, Wigstein, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, and the Hurl the East boss. Street Band as well. The boss. Yeah, the boss. Jacob, I believe his name is. Yes, uh, also known as the man in charge, the I man suppose. In- oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. Listen, you can take Josh Wiggler out of the wand off, but you can't take the wand off out Listen, of Josh Wiggler. Listen, I just got jealous of Colin Lashford with his uh, with the Wombat Nation hat that he uh, that he earned. Yeah, do, do you have, is this the only way you can technically give yourself a yeah, hat? Yeah, I want to get rule? one. I want one. So I decided to win my own uh, Lindelof this week. Uh, well, we'll see what the people think. They ultimately are the deciders. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no official vote. I shall decree myself the winner uh, of the unofficial so wait, can I send, can I just send in the last minute one? Yeah. A phone on the island! <laughs> <laughs> my ben linus tribute <laughs> oh my god here we are i mean you can't have uh, an episode of lost called born to run and not do something with the song born to run and have a podcast about it i mean you can i'm sure many have <laughs> i'm sure there did. are many lost we podcasts that have indeed <laughs> passed this milestone and done just that <laughs> but we chose not to because we're stupid and ridiculous and here we are uh look we gotta have a good time here today it's it's kate Austin round three. It's an episode that I don't think people are like crazy excited about and you know, hard to blame them. Uh, and certainly we came off of uh, the greater good where I think you and I had our greatest divide in terms mm. of a reaction to an episode yet. Let's see how that holds up here for Born to Run, which is another episode that I believe when you look back on season one, you certainly consider it in your bottom third of, uh, of season one. I know some people even think that it is the weakest of season one. Is it the weakest? Is it belonging in that bottom third? These are questions that we will ask ourselves here today on Down the Hatch, the Lost Rewatch podcast, spoiler-filled on post-show recaps. If you are not subscribed to this podcast already, you ought to do it. 
Down the Hatch is the way to go. Uh, PostShowRecaps.com slash Down the Hatch is our Apple feed. Uh, you can find us on your podcast app of choice. Your ratings and reviews uh, are greatly appreciated. I We're recording this in 2019, so there is still a possibility that you will be the first review of 2020, unless that's yeah. already happened. We don't know. We're Josh gonna- and I dug up a time capsule from 2019 <laughs> and are recording this, listening back to ourselves in 2020. Yes, yeah. I mean, we and are- we're going to be married and have nine children. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's a lot that's happening for us in the future and i'm really excited about all of it uh if you want we have a huge end of season one feedback special that is coming up in short order we want like big picture feedback think back on season one anything that we didn't touch on along the way in season one any questions you have for us like what were some of your uh, impressions of lost coming into season one of the rewatch that changed over the course of season one anything along those lines we really want to hear from you Send that feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. That podcast is coming your way uh, soon. We're, we're close. We're two weeks away from that end of season special. That's going to drop on January 24th. And maybe some of you are scratching your heads being like, oh, wait, I kind of had done like my own little uh, nitty gritty lost down the hatch planning and calendarizing myself. And I figured that January 24th was going to be when we got uh, parts two and three of Exodus. Well, guess what? Executive decision has been made. Mike and I are going to be recording Exodus as one gigantic freaking podcast. <laughs> yeah, gonna- we, we made the decision. You know, a wise resource told us that apparently it's monsoon season it's monsoon in late season. January. We got a launch. <laughs> yeah, so they <laughs> said, like, when, when should we record our Exodus podcast? And they just replied yesterday. Yesterday. And so we're like, all right, like, we got to right, rush we'll this together. We got to push this thing off. We got to go. So the entirety of Exodus, parts one, two, and three, coming your way in a massive podcast on January 17th which incidentally enough is the day that I uh, fly home from Japan so this podcast is going to be landing in your feeds uh, sometime before I land at JFK uh, I think maybe like 12 hours before so hopefully I've made it hopefully I'm not stranded on an island somewhere uh, well really, if, really hard if, to know. if it does happen you have you know at least a, a sixth of the amount of information or deep dives into the show you're dealing with the most you'd be able to deal with the most naturalistic circumstances concerning that's like the main focus right of lost uh maybe once you get involved in like the weird uh you know government-run organizations and larger mythos behind the plates you crash maybe that's when <laughs> you, you fall get things get a bit foggy but when it comes right. to like finding water i think you're all set i hope so i hope so so that's what's happening here on the lost rewatch podcast as we are barreling towards the end of season one today you're getting born to run next week you're getting all of exodus the week after that you're going to get our massive end of season special episode and then january 31st we're launching straight into season two uh we've got in fact we've calendarized down the hatch all the way down the line no spoilers but uh very exciting times if we're able to stick to the schedule here on down the hatch we're going to be in business for a good little while yet yeah, the 2020s, at least the start, are looking very promising. Very promising indeed. With all of that said, let's go forth, Mike, into the jungle to talk about Born to Run, which is directed by Tucker Gates. Uh, the story is by Javier Grio Marx Watch. The teleplay is by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. It originally aired May 11th, 2005, and it centers for the third time on Kate Austin. I think that there are some bits that we would like to unpack here, uh, I'm sure. Uh, Mike, this is an, an historic episode. Uh, 
uh, of Lost. First of all, the credits I know can be a little confusing. Story by JGM, teleplay by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. Uh, that often means the story by credit is going to the person uh, who's come up with the idea for the story for the episode. The teleplay is going to the people or person who fleshed that story out into scripted form and maybe even added more, embellished more to the story, but came up with the dialogue, uh, came up with the beats. Uh, that would be Kitsis and Horowitz, who uh, should be familiar names certainly to you, Mike Bloom. Yes. So Adam Horowitz and Edward Kitsis, they, you know, cut their teeth a bit on Lost, but they are mostly known as the showrunners for Once Upon a Time, which Once Upon a Time, Kurt Clark and I talked about that very show on Post Show Recast for quite some time. For people who don't know what it is, it started out at least almost like uh, a fairy tale Lost which is so weird to describe, but basically what the show entailed, at least initially, was there was this town in Maine where the residents were actually people from, you know, like the Enchanted Forest, uh, the larger Disney-esque universe, right. who had been brought to this town by the evil queen, but had subsequently lost their memories. Uh, but it also, again, similar to Lost, similar to the family that they came from, the, uh, you know, poison apple does not fall far from the tree here, in that the flashbacks flashback to those characters' respective times in the Enchanted Forest. So we got to see sort of, you know, the fairy tale version of them and the real-life version of them. And this is the first episode that Kitsis and Horowitz are going to work on. They're going to pen several more episodes. Several, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they're prolific writers in, in the Lost pantheon. Uh, Kitsis and Horowitz, uh, the famous writing team. Uh, Horowitz, who is the the brother of, of one of my, uh, my, my old uh, mentors and bosses in the MTV oh. News universe. If you know Josh Horowitz from the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, if you ever see him on red carpets and stuff, and any of the video that MTV ever posts on, line uh they are related josh horowitz fantastic human being have not had the pleasure of meeting adam horowitz but i have had the pleasure of meeting his brother i even traveled to hong kong once to josh horowitz i ate a tuna bun it was a very bad time but we had a great great interesting great time. was that was that a gin kwan creation <laughs> no no it was a, it was a very it was a very good time except the tuna bun was uh, i thought it was gonna be a pork bun and then it was filled with tuna and it was a disaster it was <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants surprise tuna yeah. in any capacity. it was it was it was uncool it was severely uncool uh but there but kids and Horowitz are, are, are the are the dynamic duo behind uh, several episodes of Lost. Twenty episodes all told. Uh, they get the full on written by credit for uh, nineteen of the twenty. This is the only that they're getting teleplay uh, teleplay by. Um, just to give you the list uh, and and give me like thumbs up, thumbs down, and try to keep track, Mike, of how many thumbs ups versus how many thumbs downs we get. Okay, like you have to make a binary choice here. There can be no meh. There could be no okay. middle of the road, or at least maybe tab that option as well if you're leaning more towards middle of the road. You ready? All right. Sounds good. Okay. Born to run. Uh, thumbs down. Okay. <laughs> Every, everybody, everybody hates Hugo. Thumbs up. I like, I like the first, uh, I think, you know, this is Hugo dealing with the hatch. I'll, I'll try to not give explanations. I'll try to just do like straight from the hip. Yes. And, and mark these down because we're going to want to have the numbers handy by the time. Well, you want me to mark? Yeah. Mark them down. Mark them down. Mark them down. Okay. Okay. Okay, You ready? uh, Okay. So so a thumbs down to born to run a thumbs up to everybody hates Hugo season. two. Okay. Fire plus water season two down (laughs) Dave season two. Um, up. Okay. Three minutes season two. Ooh! Oh God! That's the uh, Mike, Michael Dawson know, on the island. I know, but it did, it really didn't like explain anything. Uh, oh, down! Wow! Down! Oh my God! A, a future uh, argument in the making. Uh, Mike Bloom's favorite episode: Every Man for Himself, season three. 
Uh, oh, wait. I, this is tough because I don't necessarily remember the Fine, name I'll of the episode. Give, I'll give you the context. Yeah, give me, give me, the, like, give me the, a log line. It's the season three Sawyer's in the cage flashbacks. He's got the, he's in prison and then he's Oh, yeah, got that's got to be an up. Yeah, you love that <laughs> that's one. That's my favorite line in Lost. You love that one. Trisha Tanaka is Ooh, dead. Ooh, for your sake, Josh, I'm giving it yeah, an up. Yeah, you better. Expose is a Kitsis and Horowitz joint. That's an, that's an up. D.O.C., which is a, a Sun flashback episode. Oh, that's... Is that the uh, Jin's mother blackmails him? I, I think that's right, and I believe it's the one where Sun is going to find out that uh, Jin is the father. Uh, but that means that uh, she's maybe going to die on the island. That gets an up. Greatest hits. The that's Charlie, an the, up. The final that, Charlie that, Pace flashback. That uh, that overwrites Fire Plus Water. <laughs> uh, the Economist, starring Sai Jira's amazing straightened flash-forward assassin hair. Oh, I guess and by that capacity, it gives an up. It's a season four episode, and I do enjoy season four across the board. All right, to, to speak to the Quans again and to return to season four, G. Yeon is a Kitsis and Horowitz oh, joint. Oh, yeah, I love G. Yeon. Up. Yeah, I think that that's another... Uh, we'll see how I reevaluate that one. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. Uh, their final season four credit is Something Nice Back Home. Jack has appendicitis. <laughs> that's a de- that's down <laughs> i mean it's it's got its moments for sure uh the lie the second episode of season five uh it's mostly spent in that flash forward universe even though that is now our present and uh hurley throws a hot pocket at ben linus is sort of the big deal from that episode mm, i sort of like the up i like i like what they were doing there with at least catching us up to what happened all right season five's this place is death which is the fine one of the final things uh that the soon to be late although we will not meet her until i think 2021 charlotte lewis uh says her final words are actually i believe uh i'm not supposed to have chocolate before dinner <laughs> um i have no idea what anything else that happens in that episode besides charlotte dying yeah so on that, are you a Charlotte fan or not? Oh, God, you're really holding my feet to the fire of things I'm going to be completely oppositional about That's years fine. from now. Yeah, time, um, this is oh, a time capsule, Mike. We're listen, I, I, love, I love the freighters, but Charlotte, I mean, they love Charlotte enough to bring her over for Once Upon a Time in a starring role, but Charlotte never did it for me on the island, so I'm going to go down. All right, well, I'm just going to force your thumb up on this one, even if it's trending down. He's Are You, which is the Saeed Jarrah episode of season five, where he gets tied up to a tree in a jungle of mystery. Uh, Sawyer is trying to cover for him as best as he can. William Sanderson plays... Uh, an interrogator in the Dharma Initiative. And when Saeed asks, who's that guy? Sawyer tells Saeed, he's our you. And then they make Saeed take like LSD truth serum and he starts freaking out in the middle of the jungle. And then he shoots baby Ben Linus in the stomach because he thinks that maybe that's going to change the future, but he's wrong. Yeah, I would say shooting baby Ben Linus at least makes it an interesting episode. So I'll give it the up. A top 10, undeniably top 10 episode of Lost, or at least like a top 15 episode of Lost, The Variable, uh, the the Daniel mm. Faraday uh, death episode. Yeah, I love that twist. So that's up for me. Uh, this is probably a down, right? Uh, what Kate does. Yeah. Season six. <laughs> season six. What Kate does. How about Dr. Linus? In oh, that's six? a thumbs up. I like I like uh, Ben's is one of my favorites flash sideways stories. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to have a, have a soft spot in my heart for it. Everybody loves Hugo uh, in the Ooh. in the final season of Lost. This is after Happily Ever After, after Desmond has been revealed to like know what's going on in the flash sideways and he's trying to wake Hurley up. Anything happen on island that's interesting? Uh, yeah, Hurley blows up the the Black Rock. 
Uh, he like convinced. Okay. Yeah, he blows I'll, up the black rock, and I'll he, give it an. You know what? I'll give it a thumbs up because I think for symmetry, them doing both everybody hates Hugo and everybody loves Hugo is fun. Uh, and then the final credit for Kitsis and Horowitz is what they died for. The penultimate episode of Lost. It comes after Across the Sea, and this is the one where Jack volunteers as tribute to become the new protector of the island. Yeah, that's going to get a thumbs up just for the the mythos of it all. So the final tally, at least from Mike Bloom's perspective, is six thumbs down and 15 thumbs up. That's a really good ratio. And that's the re- a great ratio. Well, the, re- the reason why I wanted to, to do this exercise is for some reason, I think that Kitsis and Horowitz are really unfairly associated with um, their episodes are not the best on on Lost, uh, that they're often a- associated with some of the episodes that that skew uh, towards the thumbs down. And I think that this exercise proves that narrative to be false. Sure, we're going to talk about their first effort here, Born to Run, and is, is it going to be the best episode of Lost we've ever discussed? Definitely not. Is it a little better than it gets credit for? I absolutely think so. Uh, and I also think as far as you knowing that historically, this is where they start. This is where they're cutting their teeth on the characters. There's some impressive character work that's done in here. Um, they are the people responsible for you all everybody's in, in Fire Plus Water. So they're, <laughs> but, they're all, but they're also responsible for Greatest Hits and for Trisha Tanaka. For, uh, yes, and Trisha Tanaka, I know, is a divisive episode where some people uh, rave about it, i.e. me, and some people trash it, i.e. former you. I know that you have changed your mind on I'm, this I'm, I'm degree, sort right? of like Trisha Tanaka agnostic at this point. I'm waiting, I'm waiting to reinvestigate it. IGN's ranking of every episode of Lost from back in the day had Trisha Tanaka as the second worst episode of Lost. Uh, so Holy I, moly, even worse than Born to Run? <laughs> yeah, worse than Born to Run. I think that I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was something to the effect of like if you needed a better metaphor for lost spinning its wheels in the third season look no further than trisha tanaka uh and i i think history has has proven much kinder to trisha tanaka which i believe i have as the sixth best episode of lost of all time yeah. on my recent hollywood De- definitely ranking. made top 10 i remember that uh but i think like then like there's what kate does that's a lower tier episode of lost so they've got fire plus water and what kate does are lower tier episodes of lost but they also have trisha tanaka which is at least controversial if not skewing towards the upswing expose which i know but is controversial you, you, but yeah, like, what you would say is like the same thing basically you love it you love it or you hate it and i certainly love it um they have a few episodes under their belt that are not my favorite episodes of lost but they are also responsible for some really amazing episodes of the show greatest hits is uh is is an unbelievable episode of lost uh you know we could we could we could relitigate everything that we just did even when for your thumbs downs mike i would have as a very decisive thumbs up in three minutes uh so I, we're, we're starting a kitsis and, and horowitz era here with born to run so it's historic for that reason, if nothing else. And it's also a historic episode, Mike, in that we're introducing a new character to the yes, Lost lexicon. Ars is being born only a couple of weeks after Aaron. I should also mention, in the list that we're going through, I just realized that it looks like between Born to Run, Three Minutes, and Greatest Hits, Kitsis and Horowitz, the penultimate episode of every season, is going to be their sort of go-to for a while, which I think is a very interesting job to take. It's a good, I mean, that's a hard job. That's a yeah, tough job. We're, like, we're going to talk the... about this episode that I think it's a really tough position. I think if we're comparing those other two episodes, I would say that Born to Run probably does the worst job in being a penultimate episode but i you know i sympathize with their position considering what they're they have to ramp up to do in the season finale you know i think uh, for me i wow they really do do a ton of penultimates huh they're so they do the season one penultimate they do the season two penultimate they do the season three penultimate they do the season four penultimate uh they do not do the season five penultimate but they do the season six penultimate 
Five out yeah, of six. That's crazy. These are penal. These are pen guys. Yeah, they're the they're the setup. Uh, the setup and the and Lindelof and Q's are the closers. So wow, uh, tough gig, tough gig. And I, I think yeah. with Born to Run, uh, it's it's a fairly forgettable episode of Lost. Uh, but as we discussed with the Greater Good, much in the way that like I felt like it's definitely important that we have a Boon Fallout episode. And I think the results were mixed between you and I on the success of the Boon Fallout episode. I think it's important that you have a Raft setup episode because uh, it's obviously really important for the events of exodus that the raft launches and so the raft has to launch with a little bit of a time crunch behind it and so this is the episode that has that time crunch and it makes a lot more sense to me that this episode this piece this place should focus on someone like kate who is going to be impacted very different differently from anybody else by these events uh you could have you could have framed the boon stuff on a few different people that i think Mm. probably would have made more sense than saeed but it's hard for me to picture anybody who makes more sense to focus on for the raft launch other than maybe michael and waltz again um Mm. and do they have a a really rich story to play here in terms of that raft launch maybe not but with kate they get found. She goes to jail. This is a big deal. Her getting on the raft and that being a story point for her makes a lot of sense for me as we're trying to explore in the course of one hour. OK, we've built the second raft. Uh, it's probably going to be ready in a couple of weeks. Hey, just kidding. Got to be ready to go tomorrow. Frankly, yesterday. Yeah. And what I would say is I think at least quite honestly, the flashback is my favorite part of this episode. And I think if we're we're probably going to do a lot of comparisons between Born to Run and whatever the case may be. And I think one thing that this episode definitely has above that is I think this is a much more valuable flashback to the characterization of Kate. I would say this is probably actually the most important Kate flashback of the three we've seen so far. I know Agreed. that I said back in Tabula Rasa that, you know, that might have been our best Kate flashback. But I don't know. There's a there's a lot of good stuff in the flashback. I understand what you're saying with the on island urgency. It doesn't really work for me as as we're going to get into just because I feel like while Kate is so important for like that first third of the episode the poisoning stuff kind of muddles things for me muddies the water a bit and then we do actually you know get her tied back into the main plot later but i do see your point that i think this along with the greater good at least from a skeletal perspective you know is able to try to set things up try to throw that ball up in the air so that once we get into exodus and we have you know a deadline and then danielle Danielle russo comes out and gives us another deadline we have logic as to why we end up needing to do the things we do in the finale yeah i actually really like uh, a lot of the on island stuff i think the on island stuff in this episode certainly as it compares to uh whatever the case may be uh it's really not even close as to which one i prefer uh it's it's definitely born to run um so uh, you know i i have uh whatever the case may be really low i have that as i believe a two point one uh on the scale of four uh, of zero to four point two uh this will be higher than that for sure uh and my question is i currently have it uh just to tip tip the hand i have it at a 2.7 right now mike Ooh, Bloom, it's, which is it's much tied to saeed's yes, great delight yes with, uh with the greater good yeah so i have it currently tied with the greater good and much as i was examining whether or not i was going to go up or down on a 3.0 for the greater good here i'm trying to decide if i'm going to go up or down on a 2.7 but that's where we're starting we're probably going to land either exactly on 2.7 or just a little bit around this range we 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 mentioned already the great leslie arst let's talk about him a little bit more for our down the hatch series bible entry cooked up courtesy of the ben behind the curtain this is what ben writes about dr arnst i mean arst uh a high school teacher from jersey city leslie is an absolute authority on weather nature chemistry and people 
or at least he thinks he is. Leslie was once a rising entomologist approaching tenure until a mishap with a student and a spider ended his academic career. Now Leslie can't wait to get off the island to show the world his discoveries of new insect species in the hope of finding fame and fortune. All right, Ben, behind the curtain, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Arse unintentionally caused Spider-Man. It's canon now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, he's like the lizard in the making. He's like a new, he's a Kurt Connor for a new age. Oh, I love, or he becomes like or the Kurt Green Connors. I believe Kurt Connor is uh, the man in the sharp dress suit. I guess, who, what type of uh, villain do you think he'd be? He like I guess he'd be like sort of a Doc Ock, right? Because he is an intelligent person. Though I guess it was the Green Goblin famously who said, I'm something of a scientist myself. Mm, yeah, I'm something of a scientist myself. Uh, yeah, I believe that that's right. But I like to imagine him as, a, as an Alfred Molina type, uh, talking yeah. to his tentacles that he believes can hear him. Yeah, as long as he's not an Eddie Brock type. Listen I feel to like me. Stay, stay far away Listen from the Topher Grace now. of it all, Arst. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, Arst as Doc Ock is fun in a, in a sideways universe. But in yeah, the sideways so he universe, can... he's going to be uh, palling around with, uh, with Locke and Dr. Linus at, uh, at school. Yeah, uh, he becomes more Breaking Bad and less Spider-Man. I'm so thrilled that we finally get to talk about Dr. Arst here. Uh, yes, he's look, look, he'll have a short actual lifespan uh, in these next couple of episodes. But much like Boone, he is not forgotten. Taking we'll from many appearances, taking the episode upward from the greater good for me right now, Mike, is the fact that this episode includes Dr. Arst. <laughs> <laughs> is he like the poochie of loss for you? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, he's he's just tremendous. I know we've got some feedback about him, so we'll save that for for later on. Let's get into Born to Run with the assistance of eight sounds. Of course. Uh, so if Dr. Arst improves an episode of Lost for me, I'm going to talk about something that I don't love uh, on Lost. And it's, it's, it's not unique to Born to Run, um, but it is unique to Kate Austin. And Mike, you know how much I love me, Michael Giacchino. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of the Kate theme. Uh, and the first scene of this episode has a ton of Kate theme. And it's yeah, like, this, it's, it's sort of it's like this pounding. It's sort of like this eerie crawly violin piece that like makes you feel like something weird and like incestuous is going on. Like something like a little bit deviant is happening. Uh, and some deviance is occurring, right? Like Kate's showing up. There's shenanigans afoot. Here she is like changing license plates in her car. She's pulled up to a hotel. She's got this huge blonde hair that we're supposed supposed to believe is dyed and it's not a wig i'm on wig watch here mike bloom that's a weird wig yeah i mean i don't know if her blonde just sort of like i don't know cost her hair's volume to increase substantially but that does not look like the same look real this this looks like a this is like they took emily deravid and had her stand in for for evangeline looks odd looks odd and she like sneaks her way into into a hotel room and there's like some weird family shenanigans happening outside one of the rooms and she steals a key from a maid and steals some shampoo and sneaks into a room and she showers and she she showers out the blonde hair and gets her hair back to her normal color and she's got uh she's she's here under a false name joan hart uh we've got another about that so we'll hang on to that uh but eh, the, the the problem is she's you know she gets this letter she's reading it she has like her big you know evangeline lily is a terrific crying actor mm-hmm. as, as we've discussed and so that's great but the scene is very hard to watch because that creepy crawly Kate music is just like all over it. Am I on an island here, Mike, or do you hear what I'm saying at all with the Kate theme? 
Well, let's sort of give some background to this, because uh, this is, I feel like, one of the first outright illusions uh, with an A, not, you know, yet another Job reference we like to make on the podcast here, uh, but that Giacchino is making to a composer that he really looks up to, which is Bernard Herrmann from Psycho. And the track itself is even called, Josh, Kate's Motel. But to that point, finding out that this is really supposed to be just sort of an homage to Psycho, like, I'm trying to figure out which sort of came first. Like, this is a chicken or egg scenario. Did Giacchino write the piece first and they decided to write a scene where Kate goes to a hotel and watches the die out? Or did they say, okay, Kate's going to go to a hotel and decide to write this scene? But I'm inclined to agree. It doesn't really work for me. In fact, that's probably the part of this Kate flashback, which overall I think is pretty strong, that really doesn't work. It just seems so strange, especially as a way to open up the episode. I guess it's yeah. to establish like, hey, look at the cornfields. Looks like we're back in Iowa. We're back in the Midwest here. Uh, you know, we were previously in Australia and then we were in the Southwest, but just an odd way to establish Kate coming home, you know? Yeah, there's just some strange, like, tonal dissonance that's happening uh, that I, I think, like, almost every single character has, like, an amazing theme, like, has an amazing music motif. And the one for Kate just feels... I don't know. It just feels very eerie. And I know that a lot of the tension with Kate, at least by design, if not, uh, you know, in, in satisfactory execution, um, in, in the early going of Lost is like you don't know what she did. So there's got to be like an element of danger there that whenever they turn that card over, we may lose a lot of sympathy with Kate. You know what I mean? Like we may find out that she did something so monstrous that we're not going to be able to look at her the same way again. But they never go there. Kate is always a, a fairly root worthy character, even when she does some questionable things. Um, and this is like the theme of like a serial killer, as you say, like Kate's yeah. Motel. You know, it, def it definitely feels that way. So it just it's it's never really fit the character with me. And it's very aggressive in this scene. Like I'm able to move past it when there's, you know, better stuff going on or, or if there's people talking. Yeah. If there's something that like can kind of just like move you through it. But when like there's nothing for your ears to focus on other than the Kate theme in this very aggressive way, uh, it can be hard. And it's definitely it's definitely hard in yeah. this scene. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I would say that something I think maybe that contributes to that is I was doing some some other stuff reading on this episode. And apparently the music that's used throughout Kate's flashback, because, again, this is something that really recurs throughout these flashbacks in particular. I guess there's a recurring motif that calls back to uh, the chant DSE which is a you know a big josh neither you or i can really specialize in this but apparently dsri is a, a chant that's used a lot in a lot of catholic requiem masses and i think it's supposed to be to your point that scythe from the grim reaper hanging over this flashback to almost foreshadow what ends up happening to tom brennan but it, it does fit a bit oddly in here where it's just kate showering you know look when you've got an episode called born to run if you can't get the boss yeah, at least got to channel the boss. Uh, and at least Charlie seems to understand this. So let's go to the island. Uh, we're going to throw it to sound number one, because I feel like we need a music palette cleanser here as uh, Charlie Pace of Driveshaft fame is going to grab his guitar and plop down next to Kate, who's on the beach playing with her damn airplane. And he's got some thoughts about what's coming up for their future. Lots of them. Platinum? As in platinum record. As in a million units sold. Now, Drive Shaft's albums must have spiked when everybody found out that I died in some catastrophic plane disaster. 
when I come back. Alive. It's gonna be insane. So do you think the raft's gonna work? Yeah, of course it'll work. Look at that thing. It's not a raft. They built a sodding boat. When they get picked up, the helicopters will come, making us ridiculously and eternally famous. What's the matter? Don't you want to be famous? Yoo-hoo, I'll make you famous. Uh, Josh, I know that Charlie's eventually going to be told he's going to die from someone who can see the future, but I think Charlie has some precognition here yeah. as well. He's yeah. uh, predicting a lot between, you know, drive shaft success, the helicopters coming to pick them up. Unfortunately, he will not be around for any of it <laughs> right. to enjoy that fame and fortune. <laughs> no, no, he will not. Uh, but I mean, uh, Naomi will tell him in, you know, shortly before his death, like, oh, you're the you're the rock star. Everyone loves your stuff now. He's like, oh, sweet, cool. So he was right. He's just not going to be around to enjoy the fruits of uh of this disaster um but i love this scene mike uh first of all i think i think like whatever charlie's cooking up right now i'm digging it i'm grooving to it i, I like whatever his next album yeah, i like be. i mean look this is a lot better than kate's motel is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah charlie so. have scored this episode <laughs> yeah i think the pace motel is definitely working for me a lot better uh but i also like this scene because there is this feeling of hope behind it uh where the raft is like charlie says like that's not a raft it's a sodding boat like look at the thing it's very impressive uh like for the first time since they've crashed here they actually have like a reason to believe that maybe they've got a fighting chance of getting out of here uh and so for someone like charlie who's fairly manic right now um you know he's in recovery from from heroin withdrawal at this point he's pouring a lot of his energy into a creative outlet uh and you know he's he's just got this sort of like franticness to him um you know he's he's seemingly doing well with claire at this point in time aaron's around his life is kind of changing he feels things on the upswing and then you can you, you have that kind of like embodying the hope that people feel for the for the raft and then you contrast that against kate who uh is not the only person on this island who is contemplating uh the you know what happens if we leave certainly john locke has a lot of that on his mind but kate's uh kate's frame of reference for this is very different um kate's frame of reference is no i I don't I don't want to be ridiculously yeah. eternally famous. I want to slip away into a crowd and have no one ever see me again because yeah, I, I'm I, a wanted I, fugitive. I've been living in cheers for a good amount of time and that everybody knows my name. Right. Spoiler alert, it's not it's not a great idea. Yeah, I mean I think this sets up nicely. We're obviously going to talk next week in great detail about how absolutely stunning the raft launch scene is and one of the reasons why I can watch that thing over and over and over again is because it is such a beacon of optimism and hope. And it is so legitimately upbeat in a show, which quite frankly, isn't you have your occasional golf tournaments, but especially in this first season, the reality is still setting in there of like their chances of getting back to the real world are nigh right now. And so Charlie has always sort of been that type of character, though, that is a little quirky and, and tends to be optimistic, even when he hits his dark side. I mean, we're going to have next episode. He's the one that, that's setting up the sort of like messages to home in the bottle. I think he's going to help with the par avion of it all, you know, tying the message to the bird to send back to the mainland. So I think Charlie's someone who is always looking outward and upward. And his attitude this episode is a representation of that. All right. Well, let's get into another sound right away, because what happens is Kate and Charlie are sitting uh, on the beach and they're looking down the beach over at all the action at the raft. 
And somebody shows up to the raft, and his name is Leslie. Leslie Arst is going to show up to the raft, uh, barking mad about some scientific mumbo-jumbo that nobody seems to really understand. And certainly nobody seems to, in the audience, seems to understand who the hell is this guy and what is he doing here. So let's, let's meet Daniel Roebuck as Leslie Arst making his debut on Lost in this scene. What do you think is going on over there? Sure, you can absolutely wait a few weeks before you launch. I was just assuming you didn't want to die. So, uh, when's the next time we can launch? Three, maybe four months. Come on, even a weatherman on TV don't know what's going to happen. And why are we listening to art? Because I'm a doctor and you're a hillbilly. You're a damn high school science teacher. Hey, Sawyer. Just let the man talk. It's been raining every afternoon. That means that we are on the cusp of monsoon season. Monsoon season is bad. Now, the trade winds are blowing north right now. Shipping lanes are north. So north is exactly where you want to be. What's that mean? That means when the monsoon season hits, the trade winds are going to shift to the south. The raft goes with the wind. Can anyone tell me what is the only piece of land that's south of us? Antarctica. That's right, Jack. Antarctica. So when do we have to leave? Yesterday. <laughs> Frickin' arsed. Oh, I love it so much. With this stupid little ascot. I love how freaking patronizing Arst is. He like, is like a, he, he is the turd emoji personified, you know? Yeah, like he, like screw Patrick Stewart. Daniel Roebuck should have been the turd in the emoji movie. Cause he is yeah. so, he's just dripping with displeasure <laughs> with at every, and feces probably. I don't know. And maybe nitroglycerin this, soon. Yeah, he's he's going to be sweating that out. What happened? to feces when you're a piece of poo it sweats it sweats uh, but I, I i just love like not just the fact that he's giving out these facts i, th I think again in terms of the intent uh you know i can understand where he's coming from or at least we'll talk a little bit about his true intention but i think anybody else could have given this much less patronizingly than Ars did to the point where he's treating them like a classroom of children where when he's asking a question and jack answers it and is the goody two-shoes that he is he's like yes very good, Jack. You don't have to go. You don't have to, you know, write an extra paper tonight about the Westerlies. It's just I love this character introduction because it's basically everything we need to know about Arst contained in a two minute clip. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, Damon Lindelof was a guest on the Storm podcast, uh, uh, another fantastic Lost podcast that we've referenced here uh, a few times uh, for the Exodus episode of the Storm. And on that podcast, Lindelof revealed that Arst was based on a science teacher he had from high school who he loathed, uh, who who he hated, uh, and who like gave him like an unfair grade once upon a time. And uh, Lindelof had decided uh, that this was his opportunity to uh, to attain vengeance against dr arst uh by putting him on lost and blowing him up uh and adding so many insults to injury along the way uh and so that's one of the reasons why i love this character so much uh not that backstory necessarily but this sense that like 
this is a like this character feels very real and feels like he is somebody who has been like processed in a very personal way. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's he's mesmerizing. And I remember in the run up to to the Arst reveal back in like the dark UFO days uh when you would like get like tips onto to what was coming up on Lost, there's like there's this new character who's going to be showing up. He's played by Daniel Roebuck. He's Dr. Arst. And like a lot of the chatter is like, "Ooh, that sounds sinister. He's going to be like a really intense new <laughs> yeah, character." Like bond villain hey we, we know we know what the we know what the others are like we know that the others exist so we know that there are people on the island is this guy like their leader and then they they posted uh, that daniel roebuck was the guy who was playing and was like oh, i don't know that like i'm buying that he's gonna be like the scariest person but dr arse is still a very nefarious name yeah this could be like a michael keaton as batman situation where a you know a, a comically comical guy turns dark at some point but instead what we get is dr arse and i think what we got instead uh you know thinking like oh we've got a major player on the board what we do in a manner of speaking uh dr arse is at least going to be a legend if not a major player Uh, yeah i mean this is a majorly squeaky wheel though uh right who just decides to come (laughs) Uh, rolling in at this moment like oh you think you go on this road trip Ah, never mind here's here's all my information he's so great i mean he's like an snl character he really is you can imagine like andy samberg playing dr arst it would be incredible or even like horatio sands as dr arst yeah i was gonna say i think like i think like an early 2000s horatio sands could really pull it off well just about any snl actor i feel like could do a good dr arst because he's like that he is like this like fourth wall shattering character who just like shows up and it's so strange that you see like uh sawyer being like what do you know arst you're a science teacher uh it's like oh so this is definitely something that was just like created for some ancillary media but no it's actually in the language of the show uh it's like you could but you can imagine keenan as dr arst like it's just <laughs> it's just it's incredible yeah, though I think uh, Keenan is the Hurley of the group only because since Keenan reacts is such a big thing in SNL parlance, I think Hurley reacts is one of the lost go to. So I feel like it tracks there. But yeah, I think I'd love to hear from the hatchlings as to which SNL alumni would make the perfect Dr. Arst if they ever. I mean, they did a lost sketch. Maybe that's something we'll do in a bonus podcast is uh, when Matthew Fox hosted SNL back in like 2005. They did a, a couple of lost based sketches that are interesting to dive into. We can explore that someday. All right. So Kate has overheard all of this. She's going to come to Michael knowing that now the raft launch is imminent uh, and she's suddenly interested. She wants to go with uh, and Michael says the, the raft's full. Sawyer bought his way onto the raft. And Kate's like, yeah, he bought his way onto the first raft. Apparently, uh, that's just an issue of semantics. Yeah, Samantha semantics here by being like, well, Sawyer bought his way onto the first raft. I didn't realize that, like, if you buy a ticket for uh, a boat and then the boat, like, stops working, then therefore you have to buy another ticket for the other boat. Kate keeps trying to pitch herself. She's like, look, I used to crew boats. I, I know how to sail. I'm, I'm the right person for the gig. Uh, and he's like, sorry, a deal's a deal. He's like, and you're bringing your kid? You're bringing Walt? And Michael's like, yeah, I'm bringing my son. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, he, he says, I decide what's best for my boy. And right now, what's best for him is to get the hell off this island. Of yeah. course, he doesn't realize that his son thought the exact opposite thing a couple of episodes ago. But he's come around. We'll see. Yeah, by the end here. He, he has indeed. All right. So the raft is full. Uh, we go to flashbacks uh, once again. There's that Kate theme once again. Uh, Kate's at the hospital. She's got flowers. And she's obviously we're going to uh, see her try to visit with her mother throughout this episode. Uh, now she is discovering that that is a little harder than uh, than she had anticipated. There's a police 
officer posted up by her mother's um, room. Um, so Kate's going to have to find another way in. And that other way in involves <laughs> Tommy Boy. Specifically his car. <laughs> yeah, specifically his car. She has found her way into his car. She's creeping on him from the back seat of the car. Uh, she's like, hey, Tom. It's like, hey, Katie, uh, what you doing in my car? That is, it's so freaking creepy. It's a little creepy. It's, and I think Tom, and we'll definitely talk about Tom, especially when we get to the MVP stuff. I think he gives so much the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's because he just thinks this is the reality in being associated with Kate Austin is sometimes she's going to, you know, approach you in the weirdest ways. But Kate broke into his car, <laughs> sat in the back seat, and then relocked the car yeah. to make this big appearance. Yeah, it was very dramatic. Mm. I suppose so. I mean, and she didn't even have the plane there to play with to keep her occupied for those hours at a time. I mean, look, physicians work long hours. I can't imagine how long she was posted up in the back at Tom's sedan. What do you think she was doing? Like one bottle of pop, two bottle of pop? Or I think she was coming up with a list of new alternate names based Mm. on, I don't know, maybe she was doing like a, hmm, how about like a, if I call myself like Brewster Punky Uh or Or Clarissa Ferguson? Yeah, exactly. Like, hmm, what other roles has, have have certain, you know, uh, young actresses of note play that I can base myself off of that nobody will be on to yeah how about sabrina um okay so back on the island here comes sun who is going to approach Jin. they have not been talking much uh and they are not going to talk much in this scene but it is an important scene for the twist of this episode as sun is going to come to Jin and uh just verify like hey Jin, so you're leaving right you're going you're going on the raft and she's like yep absolutely totally going on the raft so it's like cool then i'm gonna poison you uh didn't say that part out loud but i'm gonna go do it and so yeah. she walks away. Well, if she did say it out loud, it would be in English and Jin wouldn't understand anyway. It's funny. This episode, I, I always uh, I always forget, like, the ultimate landing point of the poison plot. Uh, and, like, and that's I agree. And that's yeah. one of my bigger issues with the episode. Sure, totally. It's forgettable. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that like an ultimate? And it feels yeah. a little out of character, too. We'll get into it. But it just feels like ultimately unco- inconsequential and not for a great reason. I don't think that it feels terribly out of character for Sun. I mean, I think I think that Sun uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save it. We'll get there. We'll get there for sure. Um, all right. So Saeed and Jack go through a walk through the jungle. Uh, and uh saeed this is this is becoming like saeed's move where he takes you on a walk through the jungle doesn't tell you where you're going could you imagine if he set up a picnic for jack (laughs) jack you've been working very hard and you lost a lot of blood here's some fruit juice and soup no chloroform uh but no he's taking him to the hatch and uh Locke wanted saeed to not tell jack where he was going i wanted you to have an open mind uh and jack has the mic God reaction when he sees the hatch, which has been largely excavated at this point. Uh, and um, Locke says, I guess it's time we talked. Yeah, I like Jack saying, what is this thing? And Locke goes, exactly. Exactly, like, what, Jack. what kind of a response is that? I'll Spoiler alert, I'm not a huge fan of John Locke in this episode, just because he's playing a bit too much Weisenheimer with Jack when he really shouldn't be. Yeah, Locke on the downward, on the downward slope right now. Uh, back at the raft, Sawyer's with Michael um and and michael and sawyer start getting into a little bit of a kerfluffle uh first of a couple in this episode where sawyer doesn't understand why we're bringing fish on the raft doesn't gin catch fish michael's like do you know anything about rafts anyway aren't you the wrong guy to be coming on this trip you know nothing about survival and speaking of survival how about survivor as sawyer busts out the line what are you gonna vote me off mickey 
And that's uh, when he pulls out his idol, a.k.a. Yeah. the little <laughs> bottle of alcohol he had stored and plays it uh, at, with Richard Alpert. And yeah. Richard verifies that it is indeed. This is indeed a hidden immunity bottle of alcohol. Sawyer, no, any votes cast to remove Sawyer from the raft will not count. Will not count. Yeah. And he's going to nullify Kate's advantage a little while from now as well with the passport. Yeah, it turns out it was a, it was a, it was a fake passport advantage that was yeah. uh, taken from the Hydra Island of the Idols. I didn't know that you could just grab somebody's bag of tricks and pour it out in the game. I thought that was illegal. Yeah, I thought it was non-transferable. Thought it was non-transferable as well. Uh, so that was a that's a bit of a surprise. Uh, you got to imagine that Sawyer uh, and and Rodney Sesto have had some interesting conversations. If Sawyer's a Survivor fan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think Ronnie was trying to like pass himself off as like he's trying to casually pass himself without mentioning any names because he wants to say like I don't want to spoil the season yet. Uh, when really <laughs> yeah. he doesn't know anything he doesn't about know anybody. Anything. He started out first. Uh, all right, so Sawyer's pissed because now he knows that uh, that the the wheels are in motion to to get him kicked off the boat. So he's going to show up to Kate. Uh, and Sawyer is going to turn over one of his cards. He's figured something out already that he's been hanging on to for a little while. Let's listen in to Sawyer and Kate. What the hell you think you're doing? Sorry? Don't give me the all golly eyes. Michael just told me you were jockeying for my spot on the raft. I was just asking some questions. You must have misunderstood me. I know what you're doing. Yeah? Yeah. Just like I know why you wanted that Halliburton case so bad. The one that belonged to the U.S. Marshal who's flying with us? You were his prisoner. The only chance of running is getting on that raft, ain't it? We get picked up by a ship, and they come back to rescue the rest of y'all. Gonna be a nice big asterisk next to your name. Don't worry, Puddin'. Secret safe with me. But just so you know, no way in hell you're getting my spot on that raft. Hey, Sawyer. I want your spot. I'll get your spot. So here's where I'm a little interested to hear your thoughts, Josh, because I'm just trying to figure out, like, where after outlaws this sort of falls in the kate sawyer relationship right because at least our perception from outlaws was that they were seeing more eye to eye they were more revealing with their secrets i think it seems that sawyer not only knows more information about kate obviously but it's going to utilize it against her but how do you think that scene plays in the wake of the bonding time that they spent looking for that boar well, let's talk about it in terms of survivor right because kate's trying to get sawyer voted out and if you're going to try and vote out a close ally, that better be a blind side. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if the if the information gets out, you're in big trouble. And she's in big trouble because she has been actively jockeying to get Sawyer kicked off the raft. And now Sawyer knows it. And so Sawyer's going to come to Kate and say, like, you're not getting me kicked off the raft. Here's something I know about you and I wasn't going to do anything with. But now you're coming for me. So I'll come for you if you come for me. Um, so I think that this is probably not something that would have escalated this way if not for the fact that kate did what she did yeah i just think that i think the it's a slop, sloppy attempt at a blind side that's gonna say it's, it's just a tough thing where she got caught in a lie and she's like oh no i was just asking questions which again it's surprising that kate one of the best liars in the show maybe it's because sawyer is someone who she knows 
can see through her. What do you make of the choice for her to also go for Sawyer? Do you think Jin would have been the easier target just due to the language barrier? Uh, maybe she could say that, like, I think Sun really needs Jin to stay back and, like, take care of her. I think that the move that they try to make against Jin is actually pretty good uh, if they were just a little smarter about it. And if that had been plan number one, I think that that probably works. Yes, I love I loved, I loved our brief survivor know-it-alls dalliance in the middle of a lost podcast yeah, and breaking I, I down it, the moves. Look, I think in some ways, like, I think this episode is like a survivor episode. And that's one of the reasons why maybe I like it a little bit more than you do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize it's the most that. most I've we, enjoyed survivor in a while, Mike. Yeah, you're really, we, got some, we got some survivor here. I mean, it really does feel like an initial, you know, pre-merge vote where they're yeah. like really trying to figure out like, okay, who do we value? Who do you want to move forward yeah. with? Yeah, I think that that's the that's the move. Anyway, so Michael's with Jin. Michael, by the way, has been looking a little sick. Uh, Walt's giving Michael some water. Little does he know it's the poison water. I mean, uh, do you think he knows? No, I don't know that he knows. No, I don't. Point. I don't think he does either. But we always, you always wonder in terms of Walt's omniscience, and especially as we get later on with him and Locke, always how much he knows about everything. Yeah, and they're like, why? He's like, why are you and Sawyer arguing? What's going on? And we're coming back for everybody, right? It's like, yeah, totally, Walt. Absolutely. Definitely going to come back for everybody. You know, just so you know, no guarantees. Island's going to be hard to find again. Uh, and frankly, there's no guarantees that they're going to get off the island because there goes Michael. He's doubling over. He falls off the raft. He's sick. Uh, and he's trying to stand up and, you know, kind of like white knuckle it, but he can't. And he tells Walt, all right, I'm not doing well. Go get Jack. Uh, and Walt must be terrified here because uh, not only has Boone just died, which has caused Walt to like reconsider mortality and stuff like that, uh, but Walt's mom died. Yeah, uh, and now he's like watching his dad die potentially. Yeah, he must gonna, be really freaked out. Yeah, he's going to join Hurley in like the I Feel Curse Club. Everything around me dies. Yeah, so he goes off running for Kate. Uh, Kate's with Son. I think we can assume that this is the moment where Kate and Son are having this conversation. Where Kate goes to Son and goes, "All right, uh, risky plan, but I got one." Uh, we're going to poison your husband. Only a little bit, though. Uh, well, obviously, at this point, they must have already uh, put it into motion because uh, Michael is sick, which means they've implemented the poison. So maybe it's like, all right, so I implemented the poison. Or maybe it's like, all right, so the plan was implemented, but I'm pretty sure Michael drinks the poison. <laughs> yeah, for abort, abort mission. Abort, abort. Or oh, I got new plans. Actually, put the boats. new the boats. plan, put them in all the water bottles so they all get sick. <laughs> uh, so Kate's going to go run off in search of Jack. Uh, meanwhile, Jack's going to be with Locke and Saeed at the hatch. Let's listen in. How long have you known about this? Three weeks, give or take. Three weeks. You've been out here for three weeks digging this thing up and you never told me about it. All due respect, Jack, but since when do I report to you? All due respect, John, but you lied. How long did you have that case full of guns before you decided the rest of us needed to know? You used your best discretion, I used mine. So how do we open it? What? You want to open it? Yeah. We should bury it. I brought you here to talk him out of this insanity. Anything could be inside. Best case scenario, there's supplies. Worst case, we use it as a shelter. Actually, Jack, I can think of much worse cases than that. You notice anything about this hatch? There's no handle. Could the reason for that be more obvious? Maybe it was never meant to be opened from the outside. 
I can think right. of worst cases too. It was about ten episodes back. Yeah, that was the wor- that was the worst case for sure. Whatever that case was or may be. Um, there's a little bit of disagreement here about what to do with the with the hatch, but oddly enough, Jack and Locke are not disagreeing. They both agree. Got open this thing. Uh, Saeed is the one who is the voice of dissent, who is saying if we open that. Uh, we're causing uh, we're causing ourselves a world of hurt. If everybody listened to Saeed, maybe we would never meet Desmond, Mike. Yeah, it's crazy to think about that. I mean, it makes sense also from Saeed's logical perspective of like, hey, whatever is in there cannot get in here from any perspective. And as long as there's not any sort of door in a hillside somewhere nearby, mm-hmm. uh, something <laughs> might not want us to get in. I, again, I'll say that I'm not a huge fan of law of Locke using the logic of like, well, you did it, too. So I should be fine doing it, specifically when he says, all due respect, Jack. But when do I report to you? Let's go back to White Rabbit when Locke is telling Jack, hey, you should be the leader. You know what? I think we'll all follow you. You you'll be the leader. I think it just shows how his opinions on Jack or maybe his own opinions on himself in terms of him being guided by the island have changed fundamentally since that encounter in the jungle. Yeah, I think I think so as well. But I mean, like uh, this is this is the thing is like so Locke has come back and like Locke didn't get really like deeply penalized for what happened to Boone. Yeah, I guess this Uh, is what happens when you don't uh, reprimand somebody. You know, you you know, your actions have to have consequences. And if they don't have consequences, you're just going to be emboldened to act bolder. Uh, So here he is, the bald man acting bolder, uh, where he is. uh, He's going to say, like, you used your best discretion. I used mine. Uh, And for now, like, there's really no comeback. Uh, and for Saeed or I mean, me- the comeback is, hey, Locke, just so you know, keeping a case of guns in the jungle so random people don't find them versus covering up an entire hatch to the point that somebody got mortally injured is not the same situation. It's really not. It's really not the same deal. It's not the same thing. Uh, but Locke doesn't, uh, Locke's not hearing that, and Jack's not really putting that out there either. Um, Jack and Locke and, and Saeed move on from the hatch. They've had their powwow about it, and they run into Kate. She says something's wrong with Michael. So they go back, they check in on Michael. Uh, he's, you know, normal diet, fish and fruit. He's drinking two to three bottles of water a day. He's getting the water from the caves like everybody else. Um, but Jack puts him on bed rest, which is bad news, because they got to launch tomorrow. We were supposed to launch yesterday! <laughs> yeah, uh, now you're screwing up our timeline completely, and we haven't even gotten to season five. We haven't even gotten to season five yet, and the timeline is already all screwed up. Uh, speaking of time, let's flash back in it. Uh, and Kate's with Tom, and Tom is, is is hooking it up. You know, he's a doctor. He works at the, he works at the hospital. He's able to to get uh, Kate's mom in for an MRI. And, and I will say, uh, it's been a while since we've seen some early 2000s fashion, but Tom is really lot rocking that one look of a t-shirt underneath an open button down. Yeah. How do you feel about Tom's fashion? Do you like it? I mean, I can't, should we, should we bring it back? I mean, we both got button downs. I typically uh, don't wear it open, but I, I could, if you want it. That was a look I wore consistently. Middle school Mike Bloom loved that look. So I can't knock it too much without knocking myself, you know, before uh, unless I want to burn that time capsule. So, I mean, I I just got to say that it's a sign of the times. But I guess from an aesthetic perspective, it feels almost useless. But I guess you could sort of, uh, you know, give that connotation to basically a lot of fashion choices from the 90s and 2000s. Right. I suppose you could. Uh, in in the same spirit of that, like, I don't want to knock my mushroom cut that I used to have. Yeah, or uh, when I uh, bleached the front of my hair and flipped it up in seventh grade. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I bleached uh, my whole head of hair uh, for... Uh, oh, you pulled the old Kate, I see. I, I was Guy Fieri before Guy Fieri existed. <laughs> I, I was, need uh, to see the, that flashback. Uh, I, I've got the pictures. I can present them someday. Uh, but here we are. We're, the, the appointment's going to be at 5 a.m. Uh, is when you're going to be able to check in on your mom. So the, the, the countdown's on, Tom. You've got about... Seven hours to live. Good call, yeah. buddy. Uh, and I also like, I mean, it seems like it's, it's going to happen in three hours. They were talking at like two in the morning, it seems. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's late. Yeah, I suppose so. I also like how it's a just nice character note and an, actually a nice note throughout this flashback how nobody calls Kate Kate in this episode or is from a flashback perspective. Tom calls her Katie. Even Diane calls her Catherine. And so it just goes from, it really just hits this motif that we've known about Kate where she she's a woman of many names and many identities much like she plays a different role in tom's life in diane's life and obviously in the many lives that she's enriched or quite the opposite of over her the course of her time on this planet so kate's gonna say or katie if we want to call her katie is gonna say uh so do you think it's still out there tom's like is what it's still out there she says you know what you know what i'm talking about like oh gosh katie i don't know there's gonna be cows and stuff and it's late uh but they're going they're going out. They're going to do it. They're going to go to the cow town with all the cow pies. Don't eat them. Would it have, uh, uh, would it have been worse if in season two, instead of seeing a black horse, Kate sees a cow? Would that, <laughs> would that have been too funny? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that would have been good. I think I, that would have been good. I think it. It, would have, it would have had roots in her, in her home life. Yeah, I like that more so than the random black horse that spooked <laughs> Edward Mars. <laughs> Yeah, I I wish that we got uh, the ghost cow, smoke monster (laughs) cow. (laughs) I like that. The ghost cow is better than ghost horse for sure. It's a real shame that that's not what we get later on. Um, All right. So Jack and Locke are going to be debating what happened to Michael. Um, And it's like they're they're both like kind of like on the detective case together, uh, like uh, two partners that don't quite see eye to eye yet. Yeah, I'm I'm um, loving Detective Jack is great this episode. Gotta be say. honest, I, I I love Jack in this episode. Yeah, uh, another reason why I love Born to Run because I I, I oh, love Born to Run is a is a is a strong word. Whoa. But one of the reasons why I like this episode, yeah, I, I'm falling in love. Uh, one of the reasons why why I like this episode maybe more than you do uh, is because I think I think maybe I like Jack more than you do, uh, just generally, um, and. I, and you're the one who does I the impression the, of him. I know, I know, but I, I, I do it out of love because I think that it's great. Uh, but I, I really, I really do think that this is one of his stronger episodes. Certainly, um, you know, maybe not recently, uh, but this is one of those episodes where like he's very competent in his work, and he's also a pretty chill dude. Uh, you know, when it comes to like what happens with Sun, and he's just like gonna lock that down, and Kate's like gonna get outed, she's gonna get doxxed by Sawyer, uh, and Jack is gonna have no part in that whatsoever. I don't think he's even really around for it. Yeah, and he's um, the one who's kept your secret the longest. Yeah, and so when like Sun's like Jack says he's not gonna tell anyone, Kate's like, yeah, you can trust that. Uh, so like Jack gets like super vouched in this episode, uh, and he's also like he's the one who's gonna figure this out. He goes to the water supply and sees that uh, there's like some there's like some powder, some suspicious powder in the Iocane powder. <laughs> he never messed with a Sicilian. Uh, that's Locke's line. Um, but yeah, so he's figured it out. Like whatever happened, it, it made Michael sick quick. It metabolized fast, and also there's powder caked on the bottom of this bottle. So yeah, pretty sure he got anthraxed. <laughs> yeah, I think this I agree. This is a good 
Jack episode. Uh, might not be a great episode for some other characters, but I do feel like looking specifically at Jack, you know, he recovered very nicely from last episode between being drugged and losing blood. And now that he's at, you know, peak mental condition, he is here to solve literally everybody's problems. Everybody's problems, indeed. So Jack's going to go up to Michael uh, and uh, they're they're talking and, and Michael's happy that Jack and Locke have not kissed and made up. We're, I guess, you know, peaks and valleys. With well, Locke and I Michael. mean, Saeed would uh, he'd ask Saeed to, for a special picnic location for that to happen. Exactly. That's where that goes down. Uh, but uh, Jack hooks Michael up with a water bottle after Michael's about to drink from his water. And Jack goes, no, 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 no drink from this one. And Michael's like, did somebody poison me? Is someone trying to, like, poison me right now? Are you serious? Michael, what I've realized, especially in the back half of this season, is Michael is Mr. Jumps to Conclusions. Uh, And I think we saw that absolutely in Ooh in translation. And we're going to see it here, not only with the poison stuff, with him immediately deciding to blame Sawyer, despite no evidence, uh, you know, to prove that. Yeah, so he thinks it was Sawyer because they got into the fight. And I mean, it's easy to blame Sawyer for stuff because Sawyer's a jerk. But every time they've like really severely blamed Sawyer, it's always like been a bit of a bust, I feel like, so far. Uh, like he's a, he's a douche, but he's not going to poison you. Uh, at least not yet. He is going to steal all your guns and stuff at some point. Um, so then Hurley and is talking with Locke and Jack shows. I was like, maybe Kate did it. Locke's like, why would Kate poison Michael? He's like, oh, you know, because she's a fugitive. <laughs> And Jack has this great face that he makes immediately after Hurley says that, where Jake, where Jack's like, oh, no, Ixnay on the Ujidefe. Yeah, and Hurley's like, wait, he didn't know? And Jack's like, yeah, he didn't know. <laughs> and Hurley goes, how am I supposed to know? Who knows what around oh, here? Oh, I love that line. I mean, even Steve didn't even know about the polar bear. Yeah, and then Locke's like, you didn't think that it was pertinent to tell me, Jack, about Kate being a fugitive? And Jack throws it right back in Locke's face. Discretion, John. Oh, yes. I'm like, do not let Glock get the last word here. Again, he does not deserve that. Do, do not think he has one over on you. Jack, you were riding high right now. Yeah, he's doing great. He's doing great. Elsewhere on the beach, Charlie's playing guitar. He's writing again. I'm really feeling it. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's working on track two, Monster Eats the Pilot. Wow. Well, I guess is so. Do we think it's going to be like it would be like a rock opera of yeah, like his I th- I time on uh, the island? Yeah, it's it's lost the bloody rock god opera. <laughs> so then, I'm, I'm assuming though the character like written as Charlie will be the the lead character, Absolutely. probably probably played by like Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day or Adam Lambert. But he's going to be like super buff and super good looking, and he's going to save the day, especially if he got off the island and. This was like the post him able to rescue Aaron from Danielle Rousseau. That would be like the end of the play, I'm assuming. That, that would be very good uh, if they if they rearranged events and presented it in a light that wasn't even a little bit controversial. I think that Charlie killing Ethan would be a really big deal. Like that's a big heroic moment. Oh yeah, well I think Ethan would have a big villain song about like how he's after he you know kidnaps Claire. He's going to poison all the waters and uh, I don't know kill all the puppies. Like just make him the worst villain ever. Yeah, Ethan is definitely the Javert of the piece. <laughs> no, I guess the I guess the Marshal is the Javert of Kate's. Uh, Do not Valjean. forget me, four eight yeah. Yeah. Um all right, at the Kate uh, at the caves, Jack and Kate, they're talking, and he's gonna be like, Hey, I'm sorry that you, that I gotta ask you this, but uh you didn't poison Michael, did ya? And she's like, you really think I could do that? He's like, I honestly don't know. Considering that the last time we really had a conversation about this, Kate, you said that you killed somebody. So and I didn't ask for follow up. And that's bad on my part. But I'm making assumptions here. And so 
killing poisoning it's not even even an assumption so much as it is an inquiry right where he's like did you do it right but i think that for kate him even asking is some sort of like breach of confidence you know sure i and and i get that but i think you know he's got a he's got to cover his bases here and i think he probably feels decently good about it afterwards he's like yeah i don't think she did it um all right flashback time kate and tom they've been digging around He's got beer. No self-respecting man in Iowa goes anywhere without beer, apparently. Uh, Iowa hatchlings, please confirm that for us, because yeah. neither one of us can. I have a good friend from Iowa who I think uh, would sign off on that statement. Um, so he, uh, yeah, he's got the beer. They find the thing. They dig around. There's a time capsule. They, not just the thing. The new kids on the block lunchbox. Uh-huh, they've got the lunchbox. Uh, whatever that case may be. Uh, there's a baseball cap in there. There's the airplane. And there's an audio cassette, and it's uh, it's Katie and Tom, 1988, uh, or 89, rather. Uh, and when they're listening to this in however many years, they're going to have nine kids. Oof. Kate's going to be a, a nano-mom. Forget octomom. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what's going to happen. She's going to run away. She's going to run away. And uh, Tom's like, you always want to run away. He's like, yeah, and you know why. Yeah, uh, so I, I wonder at this point, obviously, we don't know, quote-unquote, what Kate did. I wonder if that was in the writer's room, you know, how much they knew about the Wayne side of things, or if they were right. trying to purposely keep things vague. We'll see later that it obviously involves Diane in some perspective, but I do wonder how concrete things were by the end of season one as to Kate's story overall. I think the fact that they have Kate's mom, um, like, freak out when Kate shows up later on in the episode um, makes me feel like they probably knew to some degree that this was going to involve something like very personal for Kate, like something nuclear, uh, literally in terms of like a nuclear family member. Like it's somebody, somebody that she's grown up with and lived with. Um, That's going to, it's going to end up being her, you know, her biological father. Uh, So I, I think that they have to know that at this point. Mm, and I think or suspected at least would be yeah honest. and I think you know say what you want to about the, the time capsule of it all as just a weird construct but I actually think it works nicely on Lost for a couple of reasons first when you have a situation like the hatch where you're trying to work on opening something that will eventually serve as a relic of the past that happens here as well in a much easier circumstance where they also excavate it they don't need dynamite to blow it open but they are indeed opening up something that's buried as well and could serve as some sort of emotional refuge but also from as a time capsule just as a concept those are flashbacks you know we've been essentially opening up time capsules on these characters for the past 22 episodes and so quite literally having one as well which is i guess sort of like a weird russian doll moment of a flashback within a flashback but having one uh you know objectified quite literally in our hands i think is a it's an interesting concept to have these characters dote on the past when they're already doting on the past as it is totally it's cute you know i I think it's cute i think that there's like uh there's a romantic quality to it uh, uh but yeah definitely in this scene considering at least yeah, their kiss yeah they hard mo uh but what what i what i like about it is you know i'm not a, i'm not from the midwest but i was a child once right i was a kid once upon a time <laughs> I like this, Some, <laughs> this little sub theory you have that only kids came from the midwest <laughs> no I, but you know like i i lived in the burbs uh i i was i was a wee tot once upon a time and crushing really hard on on you know my my fellow classmates and stuff like that and like i'm thinking back to like um the, the one of one of my like elementary school crushes who like she and i and a couple of our other friends like had this huge uh 
in our mind, like this huge epic protest uh, of our of our elementary school that was going to uh, be raising our playground to the ground. And how dare they building it up with something new and safe. Uh, and so we were like very, very upset that they were going to destroy our like uh, our, our really dangerous, rickety wooden uh, playground. And I remember like at that time, it was like fifth grade being like, I'm in love and this is cool and this is foundational and fun. Oh, I can imagine how many girls were pushing you down in the mud, Josh Wegler. You know, yeah. Come on, uh, Nadia. How was, how was I supposed to know that this is uh, you showing that you had a crush on me? Um, but like, I, it, it takes me back to like that time is, uh, is the time capsule thing, the tape. Uh, and, and so there's something nostalgic, even though you don't know Kate and Tom and their history. Like, I think that you can like, maybe, and it's certainly not universal, but for me anyway, like I, I felt like I could transpose myself onto that to some degree yeah i think there is some sort of relatability there and especially even just this idea of a homecoming even though it is under very weird and high stakes circumstances there is this sort of thing of like you know rekindling old flames and to see exactly what happens and i'm still not sure how to feel about the fact that they kiss now as someone who has a wife and son to think about, obviously, I would never do that. But like to to think about somebody in that position doing that, I, I don't know how much I want to judge him, but I guess it speaks to the strength of their relationship or at least sort of the role that they played in each other's lives for so long. Where even though Kate has been gone for God knows how many years, she's able to step back into that role and things pick up right where they left off, which I can say with like my high school friends, but definitely not of a romantic quality. Sure. Um, all right. So back of the island, uh, locks in the jungle. He's wrapping up his leg. So this is nice. I'd forgotten that we got some uh, some uh, leg management follow up. Yeah, and it, uh, it's actually really interesting. We'll talk about this in the clip. But when Walt says it doesn't hurt, and Locke says yep, you see a small smirk creep across Terry O'Quinn's face. Yeah, he and, likes it. He's happy, yeah, and that and that makes me feel like he's happy because that means that the island's no longer testing him. You know, yeah. like we, when you can feel pain, yes, it's it hurts. But at the same time, it means that they're not taking away. You're his alive. Leg. Yeah, it, it, well, it means they're not taking away the ability to use his legs. Right. Totally. So he can now he's happy he can burn his feet with sticks now. Hundred uh, percent. So we'll actually pick this up. We'll, we'll we'll do sound number five. We'll pick it up a little bit past that because uh, some weird things are about to go down between Locke and Walt. Let's listen in. Something you want to tell me, Walt? I didn't do it. Didn't do what? I heard Jack. He thinks somebody got my dad sick. And I didn't do it. You think because I know you burned the first raft that I'd think you made your dad sick? We're friends. Walt, I didn't tell on you before and I'm not going to tell on you now. And I know you would never do anything to hurt your dad. What's the matter? Don't open it. What'd you say? Don't open it, Mr. Locke. Don't open that thing. What, what thing? What you... Just don't open it. Ah, Walt, you crazy kid. How do you see the future in things? Because uh, Locke grabs Walt by the wrist just like to like, comfort him. And then Walt senses the stuff, the fourth force. Or it could be uh, just him trying to do those like, remember back in the day when they were trying to bring on all these people to be like celebrity psychics and they turn out to be complete frauds who <laughs> are just really good at reading people. Do you think Walt might have done That's that? Like, doing. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling there's, you have, there's a person in your life beginning with the letter A. 
yes, he wants to say he's very sorry. And then Locke's just like reduced to tears as a result. I mean, I don't know. Don't open that thing. I mean, I guess I'd like for it to be more metaphorical because unfortunately we talked about this during special. This is just one of those things that ultimately doesn't really pay off. Does it? Is that correct? Okay. Give me your counterpoint. Well, well, let's talk it through because he doesn't say don't open the hatch. He doesn't say don't go into the hatch. He says don't open that thing. Don't open it. He senses something very dark is in the future and he senses that something is very dark in the future because he's making physical contact with Locke in this moment. Is he seeing down the hatch? Because uh, hopefully he doesn't think that the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, like, no, open. Mr. Locke, you'll get so many LVP points in the back part of season two, one. Stop it. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll throw LVPs at Walt if Walt's going to tell people not to listen to the podcast. Listen, buddy, you know we got the power here. Uh, but if he's if he's telling Locke about something else, what are some of the other things that uh, that Locke shouldn't? open uh is it uh is is it the the well to the the frozen donkey wheel that's what i'm thinking is like i would like this a lot more if it was either a something more metaphoric less physical or b if it was referring to other things behind the hatch like is it the wheel is it the magic box to let his dad back on the island right which we don't know if that's a thing i think we we you know don't really have any hard evidence that it's a thing is it the door to jacob's cabin Mm. uh because once he opens that he gets shot by ben and left in the pit and the next time we see walt he shows up to the pit so he'd be connected to that moment could it be Uh, uh open the case that has the electrical cord in it that will be used to ultimately hang him and kill him is that how he does it? Does he have a, a case that he opens up? I, I can't remember if it's... I feel like it's some sort of, like, bag or some sort of case that has the, the electrical cable in it, but I might be misremembering Jeremy Bentham. No, but I mean, like, if, if that's the case, like, that would fit. So, it, thankfully, like, the language Walt uses here is open enough, right? He says, don't open that thing. Just don't open it. And we're just automatically, like, broad-brushing that onto the hatch. But why? Why do we have to do that? It, one of our, one of our uh, sacred duties here, Mike, uh, I said duty. Uh, one of our sacred Ours duties comes here. In. Yes, you, Ray. I am <laughs> Mr. D- duty. On down the hatch is uh, to retcon where we can. Hell you yeah. Know? You know, is to make, uh, is to connect the, the gaps. Uh, gaps are where it's at. So if we can, if we can, uh, if we can change things in a way that seems to make some level of sense, I don't know. Send us, send us your feedback. Uh, what is, what is the, what is the thing that Locke shouldn't open if it's not the hatch? Help us make this scene make more sense because I feel like there are ways. Here's another one. How about don't open that thing? As in, don't open your heart up. Ah. Uh, as in, you know, or for example, like yeah, don't open your mind up to be influenced to not press the button. For example, the, the thing could be the monster, right? Yeah. Like, don't open that thing. Don't open it. Don't don't do what you're going to do, which is going to lead that monster to uh, taking your whole freaking likeness on and trying to get off this freaking island. Yeah, I like that. I, I like again, hindsight allows us to, I think, hopefully give Walt more uh, explanatory powers. And hopefully there are many. Luckily, John Locke has uh, encountered many things that are openable and closable over the course of the rest of his life here. Yeah. All right. So back uh, by the raft, uh, Sawyer's given Michael some meds. It's like Pepto Bismol. Yeah, it's an off-brand like airport Pepto Bismol. All right. So he throws him a Pepto Biz. Uh, Michael's gonna kick Sawyer off the raft. He thinks Sawyer poisoned him, and he's like, "You've been stealing from dead bodies. You're a liar. You're a criminal." And so I was like, ooh, criminals, huh? Well, let's talk about that because Kate's just nearby and Sawyer is going to Sawyer's about to dox Kate. So let's get to the doxing. Hey, sweet cheeks! 
I had no idea how bad you wanted off this rock. Time to set things straight. Let go Tell of him me. Tell him who the criminal is. Oh, leave her alone, man. Tell him. Give that back. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Give that back. Mm-hmm. Look. Look at this. Sawyer, please. You all remember Joanna, don't you? Huh? Woman who drowned? Now, what's Kate doing with poor Joanna's ID? Could it be she'd do just about anything to get on that raft? So she could get herself rescued, run off with a new identity before half the reporters in the world descend on this damn island? She might even poison a captain himself. Shut up! nothing nobody but herself uh there's there's those violins in the background yeah sorry that's technically a double negative i get your point but you're basically saying that she cares about everybody and everything (laughs) well that's probably more accurate right she's got a big heart so let's talk about kate's plan here from a couple perspectives um i i want to go back to the raft thing so her initial idea was to be one of the people on the raft so i guess the goal was what to not be completely found so that she you know would immediately say oh yeah that's kate austin let's you know turn her in much like what happens when she gets rescued off of oceanic when she becomes one of the oceanic six would her plan be like once the raft is found to just take off or to just take on an assumed identity then because we know now that i think her other plan her plan b if not going on the raft was okay i'm gonna burn joanna's passport picture and just get by with her identity so people don't people think kate austin died but I'm a little confused as to what she wanted to do in getting on the raft in the first place. Yeah, I think probably she wants to get on as Joanna and she's going to just like squeak on by as best as she can. And then as soon as she's got a chance to dip, she's going to dip. So do you think like she would just admit that she'd be like, hey, bye, guys, I got to go and then just run away and never talk to them again? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I think that that's what she's got. Man, in mind. And Michael's coming across as callous for being like, we might not be able to come back for everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I, I think uh, that's Kate. You know, Kate's a runner. She's born to run. Yeah, I suppose so. I just think it's interesting. And you talked about this last episode with Locke as well, about how it feels weird how he sort of gets the cold shoulder at the Booner roll, But then it seems like people are, are fine bringing him back into the fold. And I guess, again, uh, another misfortune, much like the greater good of this, not having a lot of time to marinate in what happens is we get a, a very similar reception here where you see like Charlie and Michael and Shannon, who beforehand, as you hear in the clip, are like, hey, leave her alone. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You mean, man. And then when this gets revealed and Kate tries to explain herself, they're very leery of her and i wish we spent more time in that yeah i mean but but things escalate to a point where the raft is launching everybody is really dedicated to that and then kate's gonna go uh searching for the boomsticks as sawyer will describe it uh and who she's going with is jack who this is old news to him uh hurley this is old news to him and Locke is open-minded uh so she's not traveling with a group of people that are going to judge her so severely and by the time that she's going to rejoin society later that night uh she's actually just going to be there for a few minutes and then she's going to go back down the hatch and spend some time in the swan station and by the by the time that she's now rejoining the greater society uh she's part of the you know the the core hatch crew and eventually the news about what's in the hatch is going to blow out wider 
And I think that that's suddenly going to become the much bigger deal. Right. Uh, so I think that events are going to transpire in a way that allows this whole bombshell about Kate to smooth over to a certain degree. Yeah, I just I I, I just kind of wanted that because I think it would have been interesting from a Kate character perspective. I think you know? I think you I think you're probably right that they probably waste the reveal. Yeah, uh, that's that, the like, thing is because it, it seems yeah. like that information as well. Like totally, totally, everyone seems because of like you said more uh, higher priorities. It seems like that's a reveal that everyone is just not sort of fine with, but gets glossed over at the end of the day. When like I think that's a deal, especially you know in these initial stages of establishing a community of oh this is a person who has not only you know been lying to us but is actually a criminal right. could have brought some very interesting perspectives from Kate's from Kate's point of view. Josh, do you think? If she had told the truth earlier in the season, would that have helped sort of, again, the reception is sort of going to wash out in the end. But do you think that would have helped her reception in the moment if she had done this reveal on her own terms earlier? Yeah, I think what would have been ideal in a perfect world is at like a kind of like nondescript time. But after Kate has presented uh, her her resume, so to speak, uh, and has accomplished enough for the group that she is like a pretty decisive, uh, you know, community leader uh, that she goes, hey, I, I just want everyone to sit down for a sec. Hey, uh, how's everybody doing? It's Kate. I'm Kate. Oh, I, love, uh, I love Kate's open mic she's got going on right now. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Where are you from? Right. Yeah. Korea. Oh, uh. Oh, Tustin, huh? I, there's a box company there right now. Uh, you know, like, I, I think, like, for her to, like, take a nondescript moment and be like, hi, so listen, I, you know, the fugitive, that's me. It's me, and I just want to be open about it, and I've been very nervous to say this, and uh, I've been accused of, of killing uh, somebody who's my dad, who's a bad man, and I did it. And if, I, if we ever get rescued, I'm probably in big trouble. Uh, so if you like me, maybe help me come up with a cover story <laughs> if you have any spare passports who i kind of look like please help me burn their picture thank you yeah so maybe something like that would have worked uh but instead she's getting doxxed here it's not going to go over very well uh we're skipping the flashback just briefly to just kind of close the loop on that because i think it's worth closing the loop on now while we're here that eventually she's gonna be like yeah i'm the fugitive it's me i was on the plane with the marshal uh, no matter what I say about what happened, what I supposedly did, you did it. You did it. <laughs> yeah, it's not called Come what on. Kate supposedly did in season it's two. It's what you did. It's what you did. Uh, she said, I didn't, I, I'm going to go to jail no matter what, but Michael, I didn't poison you. And then Michael doesn't want to hear it. Mike, this is the, the aforementioned death look that I referenced in the Greater Good <laughs> podcast. Harold Perrineau just shooting daggers oh, right out yeah. of his eyes. Uh, incredible, incredible, incredible look. Uh, and he gives Sawyer the passport. So clearly Sawyer's back on, uh, on the raft team uh, and everybody disperses. Let's go back to that flashback, final flashback of the episode where uh, Katie's going to go and see her mom uh, and her mom is very weak. Uh, Aunt Zelda, is that you? <laughs> uh, just to bring an other in here, it is our first other off the board uh, that, yes, the reason uh, Kate is called Joan Hart uh, as her alias here. Kate's mother is played by Beth Broderick, who is perhaps best known for her role as Aunt Zelda in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, starring Melissa Joan Hart. They really uh, missed out on bringing Caroline Ray in as her aunt in another flashback. <laughs> in, a, in a future episode. Or perhaps she sure. uh, may, actually, you know what? Change the black horse to a talking cat like Salem, and I think we've, oh. we've brought the money here. So a, a talking cat and a haunted cow. Sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, all right. And so uh, her mom starts like crying for help. She gets very upset. And this is upsetting. This is actually, this is a really good scene. I yeah, think. I, I really, because uh, I think also provides like a great mystery. Like you said, it really says, oh, we don't know what Kate did, but what Kate did much be like fundamentally 
effed up. If Pretty it, messed up yeah. for her, like, dying mom for her dying to mother happy to, just, to see her. Yeah. yeah. And, well, you know, we'll find out uh, some, I think, you know, the last time that she'd visit her, I think it's left behind when she's working with Cassidy, uh, where basically Diane tells her flat out, like, hey, if you come back, I'm going to yell for help. So, and that's right. also good on Kate uh, in terms of flashback, Kate, for, like, still taking the time and the effort to doing this, knowing full well what the consequences are going to be. And she's going to try to be as careful as possible, but it basically got outlined to her what would happen if she came back. But she still has such a, an emotional weight with her mother that she, she still wants to go forward with it, even if it's just her saying goodbye to her. Right. So she cheeses it. She knocks out a security guard and Tom's like, what are you doing? She's like, I need your car keys. And so Tom gives her the keys and then Tom won't get out of the car. And she's like, get out of the car, man. And he's like, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. You should just get out of here. Stop this. Stop running. People are going to buy it. It's going to be fine. She's like, no, I got to go. And she's like, I'm not leaving. And then there's a cop. And she's like, please leave. And he says, no, I won't. And so she guns it. And then the cop guns down Tom. He shoots the car. And she drives off. She hits a different car. And then when she looks, Tom is like, dead on impact he's been shot to yeah death. for some reason that cop really focused on shooting tom and not shooting kate yeah he's like maybe he had a grudge against uh tom yeah it's like uh damn you charge me for my emergency room visits do we think yeah. that do you think tom expected kate to call his bluff do you think mm. that he really expected to like go through yeah the, the no. thing with her the- yeah i think that he was like you're gonna you're gonna listen to reason here we had we had a moment the other night and it's like yeah we did Here's here's our last moment together. Yeah, I though think Tom I, is very caught off guard, and I sympathize a lot with Tom in this episode in terms of like the way that he treats Kate. And I think this is obviously the warmest Kate has ever been in the episodes that we've seen her. But I I don't exactly uh, co-sign his logic of hey turn yourself in and then you'll have a quote unquote real life because if she's being tried for arson and possible murder, she's not going to have a real life for a very very long time. Tom. Yeah. All right. So he's dead. She's upset. Uh, but then when the cops start showing up, she just like takes no time at all to really process it, and she just dips out super hard. And she's pretty fast. I guess she gets away scot-free. Yeah, listen, she was born to run. So, I mean, I'm just sad <laughs> yeah. that we never got like High School Kate flashback where she's just like a track superstar before oh, uh, Wayne does be something like shitty and not go to her meet. And then that really just starts the schism between them. I got a feeling that uh, that is like that would be one of the kinder things Wayne did. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go back to the island uh and let's actually listen to this sound because we've we've been singing jack's praises along the way here in this episode Uh, this is a great jack moment that jack's gonna have with son his son is looking off at the raft crew and uh, jack is going to reveal what he knows looks determined yes he is You don't want him to go, do you? No. Is that why you tried to make him sick? Michael and Jen working together all the time. Pretty easy for them to get their water bottles mixed up. I didn't want him to die out there. didn't know what to do. I only used enough to make him... I wasn't trying to hurt him. 
going to tell the others? I don't see any reason why they need to know. But son, he's going. If I were you, I'd... I'd say goodbye. Jack's a good dude here. Can we talk a second about the Jack-son relationship? Yes, I would love to, because it's underrated. I think it's underrated, and it hasn't really been very prevalent until a couple of episodes ago, and I honestly wonder if the Boone situation made Jack see Son in an entirely new light, where... Well, I think I think when she uh, treated Shannon, you know, he gained a lot of respect mm. for her, and, you know, he knew that she was developing the garden and everything, and now once he, you know, once he finds out that she can speak English, now they can actually speak the same language, but they were already kind of vibing on a similar frequency. And then I think everything that, everything that happens with Boone does drive that uh, over the edge in terms of uh, we've we've been through a trauma together. Uh, you know, we can we can speak a shorthand to each not, other. We not to mention that, like, remember that he takes her advice in Do No Harm, where he is at his wit's end. She says, like, go get some rest. And that's one of the rare people that Jack listens to. So I have to imagine there's a certain, like, authority with which he regards her. And it really does seem like he's treating her almost as, like, a contemporary here, where she has done something bad, she poisoned her husband, but Jack is really regarding her with like this very sympathetic eye of like, look, I know what you did, but he also is sort of bringing down the, the bad news hammer of no matter what you do, he's determined to go and he's going to go. So you better say goodbye. It, it's like, I mean, it, he's talking to a friend here and it's a very tough tightrope to walk of him being like the group leader. And in this case, like the detective on the poisoning case and a close friend as well. And I feel like Jack really navigates this interpersonal relationship well. Yeah, I like some of these scenes with Jack and Son along the way. There's a really great one. One of the great scenes of the final season, even if the storyline itself is a little wonky when when Son forgets how to speak English, but she still understands English. You know, she can write and she can she can, uh, you know, read English. Um, And they have that moment where Jack asks her, uh, do you trust me? You know, like that that whole scene on the beach. I I love that. I really love that scene. Yeah. The the, uh, the only thing I will say as to you know Jack saying I don't see any reason why they'd want to know. It's kind to Son. At the same time, everyone is suspecting Kate right now, so maybe take the blame off of her a little bit. Maybe, maybe, but whatever. You know, it's it's gonna be what it's gonna be. He, I don't think he's worried about Kate. Kate has proven to be pretty resilient here. Uh, speaking of conversations involving Kate. Here, let's go with our final sign of the episode. Kate and Sawyer, uh, this is going to be their final conversation until Sawyer shows back up with uh, an infected gunshot wound to the shoulder uh, several weeks from this point um, in season two. Uh, so one last ride for, for Kate and Sawyer. Back on the raft. Glad to hear it. Michael's going to cowboy up. Set sail tomorrow. You here to say sorry, Sawyer? (laughs) Sorry don't suit me. You cornered me, Freckles. Did what I had to. I cornered you. You said if you wanted my spot, you were going to take it. I guess I believed you. Well, 
that's that. Got some packing to do. Why is it so important for you to be on that raft? There ain't anything on this island worth staying for. Be safe, Sawyer. Yeah, and I think... It's, That's a good scene. It's a, this is a, it's a better episode than people think it is, I think. I think it's a good scene, not only, you know, in hindsight, knowing that that's the last conversation they're going to have this season, but even with echoes into future episodes, it's so oppositionally reminiscent to Eggtown in season four when the exact opposite situation is happening. Where Sawyer is trying to convince Kate, like, no, we shouldn't leave the island. There's nothing to go back to. Here he's saying there's nothing to stay for, which is very biting in the moment, right? It's it's essentially Sawyer trying to tell Kate, like, I don't care about you. Uh, That's why I'm going. But again, it just has fun little yin and yang moments. I know uh, Kisses and Horowitz are not going to work on that, but that's going to be a fun moment we're going to revisit a few seasons from now. No, it's good. I, I just think it's 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 a powerful scene between these two characters who've had a lot of baggage between them. Uh, they've shared drinks. They've shared saliva. Uh, they've shared a lot. Uh, Kate and Sawyer, they've shared stories. Uh, and here they are, like, after this one moment uh, where Sawyer made a move against Kate, and Kate, like, can't even be, like, that angry about it, because even though Sun is the one who poisoned gin or tried to poison gin we are going to come to find out uh, and we're just skipping ahead to the final scene of the episode here i guess uh is that uh son's going to come to kate and say jack knows but i didn't tell him it was your idea so like kate can't even be that mad at sawyer because she's like i mean i did try to poison something yeah i was gonna say like she was the one who suggested it and she was sort of like the lady macbeth behind it and it's also interesting in that the situation with son kate is the tom right kate is the one who's saying I'm going to do anything to make sure that this particular person stays here instead of packing up and leaving again. Um, Maybe it's because she knows, you know, the pain that that person had quite literally in the chest when he got shot as a result of trying to make someone stay. But you could also imagine that maybe she should have learned by then as well that like, you know, wild horses can't be tamed. Uh, you, you sort of have to let them go and do what they can do. But I think it's a very interesting scene between these two characters. Like you said, there's a real ebb and flow to them unfortunately they do not end things on a good note here the sawyer facade is also really interesting here as well and we're going to talk about it more in exodus too with moments on the raft where he's very warm with the other guys and moments where he's very cold and sawyer like it's the it's the same mo as always right like it's in in exodus it's gonna be like uh are you saying bob barley no Wait, why? Do you like Bob Marley? Like, you know, like, that's what he does. And Yeah, or, or, this, it, or, or Michael being like, hey, uh, by the way, I found your gun. Are you going to kill yourself? He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to kill myself because I'm not going to be a hero. Right. You know, or or in this moment where uh, where he says, sorry, don't suit. Me. That's exactly um, what I was going to point to. Yeah. But he feels he obviously feels terrible about it. Uh, and when when uh, she says, why is it so important for you to be on the raft? And he looks at her and says, there's nothing on the island worth staying for. And he looks miserable. 
because yeah. that's not true to him. It's not actually there's, the there's truth. There's so much pain in that stare. And, and uh, like reciprocally, Kate can't look him in the eye after that. They both know that's not the truth, but they both know the guises that they have to put up and they're mutually respecting that, which is like tragic, but at the same time, very true to those characters. Yeah, for sure. And Mike, to bring it back to survivor terms, this is like when you're like a gamer, right? And uh, you have to make a move and the move doesn't go the way that you think it's going to go. And you're both still there after tribal council. Like you could either be furious with each other or you could be like, hey, you made the move that you had to make. I'm, I don't love it. We're probably not going to work together anymore, but like we don't have to be assholes around each other. So it's kind of like that. So you're saying Sawyer shouldn't have gone, who the hell voted for me? <laughs> yeah. No. Where's that snake so. mother Africate? Well, he already did it. He already did it. Uh, Walt's going to come to Michael. Michael's starting to feel better. And Walt's going to be like, hey, by the way, I totally burned the raft. I'm really sorry about yeah, that. Actually, so speaking of Michael's recovery. Yeah. I mean, I guess ultimately a little bit of a fail on Sun's part, too, because Michael got over that in like several hours. Fast. <laughs> record time. Record time. I mean, maybe Sun was banking on the fact that like Jin was going to drink a ton of water. Uh, Michael just drank like the one bottle. Yeah, made that gin always thirsty. Yeah, uh, but Walt's gonna confess to the crime. He says, I didn't want to leave. I thought I could stop you. And Michael's the best. Yeah. He's like, it's all right. If you don't want to go, we can stay. Like he's pulling the, the Bernard to his rose here. Yeah, right? it's, you know, it's, like, it's a really interesting move for Michael because he's been so adamant, even earlier on in this episode, about like, we are building this raft to get my son off of this island. And I can't imagine being hit by this news, considering how committed he is to the idea of getting off the island, especially recently so, to be like, why are you telling me this now? But he is so receptive to it maybe you know physically he's been worn down by the illness that he can't muster up a retort to that but it, it's a very open response i don't know exactly how willing he would have actually been to say on the island if walt said so but the more interesting element from this is when michael says that walt says yes, yeah we, we gotta go <laughs> yeah walt says yes we do but i guess it's another thing of like does he know the others are coming? Does he feel, does he know what's going to happen? And as a result, he feels like he has to set those events into motion, you know, or like, is he, or is he trying to dodge it? Right. Like, is he, has he had a vision of the future and he's so afraid because like that includes his dad yeah. blowing up or, on a boat. Or can you know? he like hop across the island? Hears that the others, much like Rousseau overhears them are quote unquote coming for the boy and knows that's him. Yeah. Who knows? You know, uh, but he's definitely concerned and he's freaked out. And so that's where we leave Walt and we leave the episode with son and Kate talking and uh, son saying, Jack knows didn't tell him it was your idea. Uh, why should you be punished? You were trying to help me. Uh, and this is where Kate says like, don't worry, Jack's good at keeping secrets. And son says, when I was a little girl, I believed that once I found the man I loved, I'd be happy forever. And sad Kate says, yeah, me too. Wah, wah, and that's born to run yeah not not the biggest fan of this ending uh it's sad yeah whatever it's, you know, it's, it's, whatever. it's sad it just feels like it, it feels like a weird way to end the episode personally but you know i yep. i actually think if you swap the if you swap the scenes and you put a more like mysterious uh musical sting after walt says yes we do maybe that could have been like a, a hook into next week yeah maybe maybe that would have done it but uh this man's broken mike so that wasn't gonna happen that's true <laughs> yeah they can't do it Okay, let's get into the others here. Your feedback that you submitted in anticipation of this podcast. And of course, uh, we want your feedback for that end of season one special that we are going to do in just a couple of weeks here down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Calm. Let's get into the others. Uh, April Thomas writes in and says, I will forever be disappointed that track two of the season one soundtrack is not called Monster Eats the Pilot. 
Yes, but it should be noted, and the Ben Behind the Curtain noted this as well, is if you listen really closely to Monster Eats the Pilot, it uses elements of the show's main theme, a.k.a. credit where credit is due, which makes me think, Josh, much like we found out several weeks ago that Hurley said, hey, I used the numbers to play the lottery, and now I'm quote-unquote cursed. Did Charlie, in using mm. the loss music, curse huh. himself to die? <laughs> maybe maybe that's what did it uh desmond is like very musically inclined as well so he was like really hooked into that uh that vision the notes are bad the notes are bad the notes are bad um all right uh this is from scott french we know that Locke saw that jack was essential as the leader of the oceanic survivors why was he unwilling to trust him with the information about the hatch for so long, especially when he was at a standstill with opening it? I'm not saying it's a flaw in the story. I'm just wondering why the man of faith lacked faith in Jack until he was forced into it this episode. Do you have any ideas? Yeah, it's tough to come up with some because like I mentioned before, it just seems like such, for lack of a better term, a black and white uh, difference between the way that they talk with each other in White Rabbit. Right. And now. Well, I, I, I think, you know, what what Locke is going at for Jack back then is like be the leader of the people, right? And like he's going to say that in in all the best daddies as well. Like uh, you're the you're the doctor. Yeah, you be I'm the, the doctor. I'm the, I'll be the tracker or the hunter. Yeah. You know he he wants there to be a line. Like he's you know he he wants them to have their roles and eventually meet in the middle when it makes sense. But it's just not there yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm I guess I'm also trying to think as well because I feel like with the White Rabbit stuff, though. I mean, Locke was being very open with him about like his own connection to the island. That's where he said, you know, I, I looked into the eye of the island and what I saw was beautiful. Was there a certain point or event we think that made Locke think, "Oh no, Jack is that man of science. He's hmm. not. Yeah. He's not going to believe me. So therefore, I don't. Need, I don't want to tell him about the hatch because we saw that it took Locke such a long time to even admit to Boone that the island was leading him to the hatch in the first place." Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think um, I I think you don't have to look further than all the best daddies for that. Uh, you know, they're on the run together and they're both trying to track down uh, Charlie and Claire and Ethan. And Jack's just not letting Locke take the lead. And I think at that moment, Locke realizes that this is, you know, this is not going to be something where he's going to have an equal voice here. You know, if he brings something to Jack, Jack's going to feel like he gets authority and he gets final say. So Locke needs to, like, carve a corner of the island out for himself and explore this to to his own uh, satisfaction before he starts bringing people into the equation. How much do you think Locke had that bullet in the chamber of the gun case? But did you think he had it, like, since yeah, all the best daddies of, like, that. well, I'm going to pull one over on Jack later on when for, he... Uh, with when homecoming, he... at least, Yeah, right? exactly. It's like you've been holding out on us, uh, I think, for sure. Uh, this is from Stefan Johnson. Uh, what is it about Kate's flashbacks that struggle to stand out? On paper, a criminal on the run should be some of the most interesting flashback material. But her flashbacks are maybe the weakest part of Kate as a character. Now, Mike, I know that you uh, you enjoyed the flashback aspect of, of Born to Run. But as a rule, would you sign on to what Stefan is saying? And if so, what's the problem? I think what the problem is, is that for a you know a, 16 15 16 23 yeah, for for a more for a serialized storytelling format like lost kate's flashbacks are oddly not serialized it almost feels like that half hour format of like kate shows up to a place kate does something and then kate's on the run once again uh, and maybe because it feels so 
repetitive, that's what really, I think, brings it down overall. And one of the reasons why I like this is because, yes, it does have the same fundamental format. Kate comes into Iowa. Kate hangs out with people for a bit, sees her mom, and then takes off again. But there's so much enriching material in there, especially from a character perspective where we know so much about her. I don't know how much more we're learning about her when we find out she's married to Nathan Fillion or, you know, when uh, her and Cassidy are hanging out, especially, you know, we can also we talked about this, I think, with uh, with Taboo La Rasa as well, that we can sort of give leeway to the first time we see these recurring uh, plot devices. When we start seeing it around like four or five times, then it starts to get a bit repetitive and, yeah, and yeah. a little stale. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, from Eric Divestein, how was Arst basically right with his theory on how the Black Rock got there, but so wrong about monsoon season? Yeah, and as a refresher for people who don't remember, uh, we'll get to this next week in Exodus, that Arst is like, okay, there's got to be a logical reason for why the Black Rock is in the middle of the jungle. Like a tsunami probably brought it here. It's like, yeah, it's, that's essentially it. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> it's a huge, yeah, I mean, a huge storm. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a statue face. that gets in the way for a hot second, but yeah, that's essentially how they get there. And, and that piece of it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, ben Martin Tell notes that there is an episode of the Missing Pieces miniseries uh, called Tropical Depression, uh, in which Arst reveals that he lied about monsoon season. But Mike, I don't want to get too deep into the missing pieces of it all uh, because uh, we've got plans for that. Yes, many, 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 many months from now. I would say to be Uh, fair, we're probably going to forget about talking about it anyway by the time we talk about it. But yes, it should be mentioned that canonically speaking, Arst actually lied about it because he wanted to get the raft launch early and he knew he could sort of like talk his way through some, you know, uh, some I've got issues with that. I've got problems with meteorological that. So think, brouhaha. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that when we get to it in, uh, in several months from now. Uh, this is from the Bob to bees. Why did Arst's introduction work well? He's a beloved character. while Nikki and Paolo's introduction did not. Um I would say my answer to that, to, to Bob, and I, I, I propose this to you, Mike, is that Arst shows up and then within three hour long episodes of his introduction, he is dead. I think that's a big facet of it. I think timing is key, in my opinion, where Arst gets introduced in the penultimate episode of season one where you say yeah i mean we've seen joanna we've seen scott we've seen steve like we saw rash guy back in solitary they're they're random people who pop up it's still season one but i think the really tough thing that lindelof and q's tried to do in season three was to introduce two brand new characters and make us believe no 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 they've been here the entire time and now they're important it felt like we had done so much in season two we've introduced new characters we've killed off those characters as well that to have more characters brought on that were apparently there the entire time just felt like a bridge too far for people. John Krause asks, who has the better death, Nikki and Paolo or Arst? Arst, that, Arst, that, that's, Arst. That's so unfair. That's so unfair. No, it's got to be. We'll talk about it next week. Arst has, in my opinion, the funniest scene in Lost history. So it has to go to him, in my opinion. Oh, uh, man. I think ultimately you're right. But it's, I hate having to make that call. I mean, listen, it's, they're still up there. I, I think you're right. I think you're right, though. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I actually do think you're right that it's like it, it shouldn't it doesn't have to be a fast conversation. I think Arst's death is is really up there, not just on Lost, but just like the pantheon of television. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, Eric Divestein, once again, if Kate had played things a little cooler and hadn't threatened to take Sawyer's spot, do you think her plan would have succeeded? Yeah, I think, well, the bigger deal is they had to make sure that Jin was going to drink the bottle of water. But also not have people try to make him recover as soon as possible right so i guess it'd be a matter of like 
keep maybe they'd have to like go up to a misery style and like hobble him like i don't know break his hands so he can't go fishing anymore (laughs) oh my god devastating uh ben martell asks us is the raft really not big and buoyant enough to take five people i think yeah i think five people on that raft is too much i mean yeah we'll Uh, we'll, we'll see it watch watching it in action in exodus like yeah that's that's way too many people. Yeah, it's it's cramped quarters. And even with four, it's tight. And that's and one of them is a kid. Like one of them is like half the size of those three adults. And still, there's a not a lot of room to move about. And I can imagine weight is probably the biggest concern, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's it, it, and just like where, where are you going to lie down to sleep? Even with four people, I wonder about that with like three grownups and a child. Three men, hard, and a, like, three men and not a baby. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Brennan asks us, as somebody who originally caught up on the show during the third season, I missed theorizing about things like what was in the hatch. What were some of the main theories at the time prior to the beginning of season two? Did Saeed's concerns about opening it feed into the idea that it would be something bad? I would say yes. And I think that what Walt said here, uh, Daniel, in this episode uh, only added to that. Um, but, but, that but as far as like being, what was in but it. But that being said, everyone wanted the damn hatch to be opened. You oh, know, yeah, this was 100%. something that had been staring us in the face since 2004. And we're like, look, I don't care what's in it. Just open the hatch. Open the frickin' hatch. Uh, Stefan Johnson asks us, why is Walt scared of the hatch? Do you think he has visions of someone getting hurt in there? Does he sense that there's a bomb-like explosion that could go off? Or does he just not want Locke to get carpal tunnel syndrome from all the typing? Uh, and if Walt is so special, why can't he sense that the real danger for him is in the water, says Stefan. Um, how about another thing that he could be scared about if he's having a vision of the hatch as he sees his dad like shooting two people? Mm, in the yeah, and that's like a point that they never are able to come back from. And maybe, you know, when Michael reveals what happened to Walt, it's less about, you know, a revelation for him and more of a confirmation of what he saw. And for the second question about why can't he sense that the real danger for him is in the water? I think maybe Walt's powers, if they are precognitive, are selective. Like, I don't exactly know if Walt is Dr. Manhattan in that he sees every single event that's going to play out for the next five I seasons. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, John Krauss, uh, speaking my language here, the twist at the end that it's Sun who did the poisoning is so good that it still trips me up. I've seen this episode at least six times and I'm still always shocked that it was her. Do you ever forget this? Yes. John, I forget this every time. Uh, I, any, every time I get to Born to Run on a rewatch, I'm like, wait, exactly how did this yeah. end again? I just never quite remember. Yeah, uh, well, I guess that means that it'll function on its own when they like should we put this in with like uh the law and order reruns that are on usa all the time <laughs> yeah maybe uh no but those like i tend to be like oh yeah i know how that well works. that one is also gonna like show sun poisoning gin in the first five minutes you know so that we know who it is yeah uh more from john kraus i like how kate's mom starts crying for help it's so creepy that it gives me chills especially on your first watch through when you still don't know what kate did it's like holy crap what did she do to make her mother so afraid of her? Yeah, I think that that's like the big scary effect of that moment is like, uh, like this is something very bad happened here if her mom wants her out of the hospital room. Yeah, and especially because there's also no father in the picture and we haven't even heard about Kate's father. Uh, we wonder if all the best Kate girls have daddy issues. Uh, once more from Eric Divestein, how much blame should fall on Kate for Tom's death and how much fo- uh, blame should fall on Tom himself? Uh, I would go ahead and say most of the blame for Tom's death goes to Tom. Yeah, my I mean, she it. presented the decision with him. I guess uh, I wouldn't say it's an exact Boonlock situation, but I think, again, it's a conscious choice that he made. I think he was playing chicken with her a bit, hoping that she would listen to his reasoning and stop. But I just think that she was so driven to drive 
that she just plowed on through and and unfortunately ended with Tom's life. But that being said, Kate's still taking the brunt of the guilt of it to the point when back in the aforementioned, whatever the case may be, she said that the toy plane belonged to, quote, the man I killed. Right. Which I think is too much. Too much blame. And also too vague. Yeah, a little vague. Uh, Dallin Servo says, Netflix has a new series called The Movies That Made Us. One of the episodes focuses on Home Alone. And in the episode, they reveal that before Daniel Stern was cast as Marv, Daniel Roebuck, a.k.a. Arst, had been cast. Which got me thinking, how would Daniel Stern do as Arst? And how would Daniel Roebuck do as Marv? So, yeah, so I, I was, <laughs> I've been watching this series as well on Netflix. It's great, by the way. I recommend people check it out. Basically, it's a docu-series that goes behind the scenes of, up to this point, four 80s movies. It's Dirty Dancing, Home Alone, Ghostbusters, and Die Hard. And the one yeah. for Home Alone, they initially revealed that it was going to be Joe Pesci, and it was going to be Daniel Roebuck. And they, I think they did some screen tests or I think it was, oh no, Daniel Stern initially signed on to the movie, asked for more money than they had. And so decided to opt out of it. They brought on Daniel Roebuck and it wasn't really working. So they were able to get Daniel Stern back on board to answer Dallin's question from Stern's perspective, picture expose, they get to the black rock, uh, Arst goes to pick up the dynamite, uh, but then an iron swings out from the black rock and hits him in the crotch and he explodes. That's how Daniel Stern as Arst works. Now I'm thinking about Joe Pesci as Benjamin Linus. <laughs> got any milk? <laughs> you guys got any milk? We're the good guys, Michael. <laughs> what, do I look like a good guy to you? What, do I look like a bad guy? You think I'm a bad guy that I do bad things to kids? No, you know Joe Pesci would not have done network TV back then because he could not have sworn as much as he wanted to. Oh, I guess my wife is home. I just got a text that says, Joe Pesci! <laughs> uh, he's in the studio! Right. <laughs> yeah, he's in the studio, Em. Come on in. Uh, all right, let's get into the MVPs and the LVPs of it all. Mike is giving out two MVP points this week. Uh, no, I believe you were giving out yeah, uh, three I'm, I'm MVP the big, points I have the big hand. You have the little hand. You got the big hand. I got the little hand. So three MVPs for Mike, uh, two for me, three LVPs for me, two from Mike. Uh, the the board, as we're looking at, uh, the, as the song highlighted at the start of this episode, Kate is indeed the MVP leader. She's got nine points. Saeed's got seven in second place. And there is a two-way tie for third right now with Hurley and Son at six apiece. Uh, and the bottom of the board still looks about the same as it's looked. Uh, Christian Shepard, uh, Sawyer, Shannon, all negative threes. A few other negative threes. The Gawkers aren't doing so well. <laughs> Randy Nations hasn't been here for a while. He's humming at negative three. Uh, Thomas, different Thomas. I don't think that he's a uh, Thomas. Yeah, we're, we we're, Tom we're going to have to start giving out last names now, I realize. Because like yeah. when we brought up too many Thomases, Bryans, and uh, and what was it? Eddies to populate yeah. this, this countdown. Thomas versus Bryans versus Eddies. It's a bad look for Tom this week. Uh, and Anthony Cooper still dragging everybody down with that negative four mike who are you giving your first mvp point to i gotta start with our leader here well we talked about it before but i think jack shows not, yeah. not only great investigatory skills but also good interpersonal skills as well in the way yeah. in the way he's handled everything the way especially he's handled the hatch he seems to keep a surprisingly open mind about opening the hatch so i think going into exodus i think jack's at like an all-time high in terms of his leadership despite losing boone i think you know he's feeling at the top of his game yeah, he's a super cool dude. You know, he's like, yes, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm, I'm sorry that all this is going down. You should probably go say bye to your husband. Like, he's got, like, good advice. And he's keeping a secret. And he's he's taking Locke to task, right? You know, I, I feel like he figures out the poison. Uh, so, yeah, let's get let's get a Josh Wiggler MVP point goes to Jack. Nice. As well. um, so two points to Jack. I'm going to give a point to Tom Brennan. Uh, look, he'll make a decision that ultimately ends his life. And that will 
you know, fundamentally affect his family. And who knows, it might have fundamentally affected his family if he inevitably told them about him kissing Kate. But I think finding out about the role he plays in Kate's life, as well as just being a good person in getting Diane that emergency MRI scheduled, uh, just proves that, like, he's a he's a good guy at the end of the day. And I think, unfortunately, those good guy tendencies ended up resulting in his death here. Yeah, so just to spoil it, I'm going to give him an LVP because he dies. Uh, and that is typically where I go if that is uh, the best option on the table. I think it's one of the best options on the table here because Tom definitely gets himself killed here. Uh, he, you know, he does it. He, he really puts himself way too far out on a limb for Kate. Uh, he makes out with Kate and he's got a, a wife with a baby. Uh, this is not great. Uh, so Tom's not even going to make it on the board because he gave him a point and then I took it right. away. Right. The, the O in Tom is now a zero. Yeah, he's just he's off of it. Uh, and then to my next MVP point uh, is yet another wash, because I'm also going to give him an LVP point, uh, is Dr. Leslie Ars. <laughs> <laughs> Ars on the board! Well, yeah, and then immediately take it off of the board, because I'm going to give him an MVP point, because his first scene is so, so, so funny. Uh, but I'm also going to give him an LVP point, because apparently he's lying about monsoon season, and he's also just a human fart. Yeah, you know? he, just, so. he just treats everyone like such an ass. Yeah, so I think uh, Farst is, uh, he's hes both getting an MVP for me and an LVP. Uh, so Arst is, like Tom, a wash here in the 23 points. So I'm going to give my final MVP point here. Let's give it to the Raft guy. I know that Michael does not have the best behavior when he immediately suspects Sawyer without any sort of evidence when he finds out that he's been poisoned. But between... Yeah, but his, his recovery time. His recovery time is great, and ultimately his decision to listen to his son, which is what Locke has been telling him the entire time. And, you know, not getting angered when he realized that he burned the first raft. I mean, ultimately, he uh, is able to take advantage of it. He says in numbers that, like, I learned things the first time out, so maybe that makes him not too mad. But I think, you know, his treatment of, the, of his son has changed. We'll see that in the first scene of the next episode. And so I want to give him some credit there. Yeah, I... uh I'm, uh, so we're going on to LVPs, and I've already mentioned I'm giving one to to Dr. Arst, uh, and that I'm giving one to Tom as well. So I only have one more LVP card to turn over. And for the same reasons that, uh, that we gave Kate an LVP last week uh, for poisoning Jack... It's just not cool to poison people. So <laughs> yeah, that's really one be, of our main rules here on Down the Hatch. Yeah, like, Don't poison not, people. Try not to poison your friends or your spouses or your your family members and son poisons or tries to poison Jin and uh, she even poisons the wrong guy. Like maybe it'd be more forgivable to some extent if they'd gotten this right. Uh, but they didn't even get it right. They botched the job. So I'm going to give Sun an LVP. I suspect you're probably going to give Kate one. Yeah, look, I, I think Kate's... I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's and fair. I think, I think the Kate, flashback Kate, Kate I think, definitely rose her in my eyes. Again, we see her motive behind not only, you know, uh, her what hometown younger Kate looks like and those aspirations she had, but also, again, the fact that she's willing to come back and visit her mother despite knowing the circumstances just because she has such an emotional connection to her. It's very much a different side of Kate than what we've seen before. That being said, she did give the idea to Sun to poison her husband. Uh, so I, I really cannot let her that much off the hook. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Uh, Kate doesn't do anything right, really, in this episode, you know? Yeah, which is tough because it's we same, said sort of the same thing about whatever the case may be, too. Of like, unfortunately, I think just in these Kate-based episodes, her on-island behavior just is like not not great it's weird because yeah. all the episodes that don't focus on kate she's like pretty much a, a great person 
but yeah. in the one specifically focused around her, she almost falters. But in in Kate in in whatever the case may be, I think that Kate was a wash or pretty close to it at least for us in the in the twenty three points so, because yeah. like at least for Kate, like it was like uh, she would like um, take one step forward, two steps back. But at least she was taking one step forward. And, and here, like Kate has a decent plan to blindside Sawyer, except that the plan explodes and everybody finds out about it, and she gets doxxed in the process, so she gets like voted out of the tribe unanimously. Uh, so. <laughs> I think I think she earned her her spot on the jury. Yeah, I think uh, going off to Ponderosa, she pawns off some other things uh, like that new kids on the block lunchbox. It's a great Ponderosa video, though. Oh, absolutely! She's very happy. She's eating the pile she, of bars. She, she yeah, really she's happy. taking a shower and washing the dye out of her hair. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And so I'm going to give my other point. I, I referenced this beforehand, but I'm going to continue the downward slope for Locke here. Yeah, I, he's tripping. Yeah, I just think the attitude that he takes with Jack is just. Uh, just not in a logical place. I know he's trying to defend himself, but it's really not coming off well. And even if the others might forget, we do not. So I, I gotta, I gotta keep the streak going. So not a huge amount of changes in uh, the negative category, but uh, on the on the on the leaderboard, it's getting it's getting uh, tight. Tight race. Uh, Kate is still the MVP leader here of Oceanic 815, but just by a smidge, uh, just by a, a, a bleach blonde hair. Uh, Kate has eight points in the lead. Saeed is right behind her with seven points. Hurley and Jack are now in that six wow. point third place tier because Sun has dipped to fourth place, tied with Claire. Uh, and Locke is uh, it's a precipitous fall uh, for, yeah, for John the, the Locke. John Locke is tied with the man who will eventually become John Locke, the smoke monster. Yeah, they're both at two points apiece, and I believe uh, Danielle Rousseau and Bopo the dog also have two <laughs> that's points. A hell so of that's, a honestly, that's a hell of a Mount Rushmore, I'm just saying. That's a, that's a fun tier. I like that tier right now. I'm not mad at that at all. All right, let's do the 4.2 stars uh, where we are ranking these episodes as we go. Uh I I guess I think I'm I'm almost I I would like I would like you to start this off, Mike. Uh, typically, I give my my rationale first, but I, I'd love to hear where you're at with everything. With so I can take the bullets. I understand. I'll be the Tom. No, here. I'll take bullets no, 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 as well. Uh, sure. So okay. So I am not a huge fan of this episode. Uh, I feel like again, sort of like what you talked about with the greater good. I'll co-opt your opinions there. Where unfortunately, I think this just benefits from where it falls in the season. Where I wish we had a couple more episodes where we could really see the fallout from Kate getting revealed. And unfortunately this episode does suffer for me in terms of there not really being any sort of ramifications that play out. Uh, maybe the one thing that does happen is obviously besides Jack finding out about the hatch is we'll talk about this next episode. I wonder how much son making the dictionary for, for Jin is inspired by Jack's words to her of like, you better say goodbye now. But right. it, it really just felt to me like uh, there were a lot of just, character decisions that i was not a big fan of or really that entertained by to the point where like you said the poison storyline is something that often goes forgotten on lost and i don't know if that's necessarily good that being said i still like this more than whatever the case may be uh i feel like even though whatever the case may be has probably more important or more interesting on island stuff uh, especially with the charlie and rose faith storyline I think the flashback is much better. And I think it, again, does a really great job of coloring Kate in a much different light than we're used to her, especially right before the finale as we head into season two. But even reinvestigating this on island stuff never really got me. Even, even the lighter stuff, there are some fun things, but it's nothing along the lines of the great beast, beast stories that we've encountered in the past few weeks. So I gave whatever the case may be a 2.1. And I gave special 2.7, Homecoming 2.8. 
I feel like it's between that range. I ultimately went with a 2.4 for Born to okay. Run. Oh, reverse number. Um, all right. So I had said that I was thinking at, at like a 2.7 range for Born to Run, which is where I landed with the greater good. Uh, and so in the process of talking it through, uh, something that I, I was trying to weigh is like, much like how I did with the greater good and the moth. Like if you, if I had to only watch one of those episodes, which one would it be? And I would pick the moth every time, which episode would I watch between born to run and the greater good? They both come at very similar points in time in the season of, uh, in the first season of lost. They both, uh, one is dealing with fallout. One is dealing with setup. I think if you put these in your lower tier of episodes from the first season, I think that that's exactly where they ought to go. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that either of these episodes are particularly uh, blockbuster levels of loss but which one do i enjoy more and by a smidge by by a by a yellow an improbable yellow hair man born to run just just a little bit i think i like a little bit more than the greater good so i'll I'll notch it up uh not as not as big of a swing as i went from 3.0 to 2.7 uh from uh for the greater good Uh, i'll go from 2.7 to 2.8 for born to run which actually is on par with our audience average is at a 2.8 as well uh and i think i've you know i don't know there's there's things in born to run that i I find amusing arst is here that's true i would say the arst stuff and the couple of charlie scenes are yeah those are good those Those are are fun and the kate the kate flashback is what like even lifts it above it's like so a low two for me i don't even love the kate flashback that much I, I i could take it or leave it i think like it's definitely better than the whatever the case may be flashback um it's more important than that one but it also is building on that like it's all about that plane again and i hate that <laughs> so yeah I'm i know Wait, we didn't even talk about that about like the <laughs> the finding out that what the plane is about i mean i guess they solve that mystery but at the same time it's sort of being that is a bit of a wah wah you know so yeah so i kind of i kind of don't care about the flashback that much and i and as i've said like the the flashback music is not my favorite uh the cape music rather is not my favorite um but i love that charlie stuff i love the arst scene i really like jack in this episode quite a bit i think jack in this episode is great um i i like the 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 scene with sawyer and kate at the end of the episode i think is is really kind of uh like sideswipingly powerful um i love that michael dawson death stare i don't think that there's like a moment here that rises to the level of uh boone's funeral in right. the greater good but, which is what but, I'll you, say. but for you there's a lot more, more consistent. consistent yeah less less yeah. peaks and valleys much more consistent of an episode for me so just by a little bit just because i feel like here we are at this period in uh season one of lost where i think the greater good and born to run are both thought of in the same way in the sense that they're not really thought of much at all uh that like let's just take a stand which one's better and i think i'll just give a slight edge to born to run and maybe that would change on my next rewatch but but today i will say 2.8 to born to run so that's 2.8 for me 2.4 from mike 2.8 from the audience which gives it 2.67 which means that kate is uh Leading the MVPs uh, in the 23 points section by just a tiny bit right now, uh, but she is uh, decisively anchoring the uh, 4.2 stars section as whatever the case may be remains the worst episode of Lost to date. Uh, but Born to Run is right above it. Born to Run clocking in at 20, uh, just beneath special. Yeah, uh, and I would so. say, I mean, I wouldn't say that she has like the worst average for any character because I mean, she does have Tabula Rasa currently at 14, but Charlie has the Moth at 16 and Homecoming at 18. So I, I, I haven't done the math on it but i figured those two are jockeying for like the worst on average character episode 
It's about right for me. I love Kate. I don't love her episodes. Right. Agreed. We talked about that yeah, before. You know, so I, 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 think it's, I think it's totally fair. All right, Mike. Holy wow. We are looking down the barrel of Exodus. Uh, uh, next time our voices fill your ears, people. Uh, it is going to be for many hours, I'm sure, uh, as Mike and I are going to need to get a, a nice night of sleep before this raft launches in the morn. Uh, the others are coming. The smoke is billowing in the air. Uh, fake beer abound uh, and we're gonna have to rush to make our flight uh mike bloom exodus parts one two and three as we close out the first season of lost and the first season of down the hatch is not quite closed because we'll have our end of season feedback special dropping uh in two weeks from today uh but we're right there wow. right at the edge I-, I honestly can't believe we've gotten here i mean i know it's been you know 20 plus something weeks over five months but i was like anxiously anticipating exodus because it would mean the end of season one which to me is still the best season so it would be like bittersweet that we're ending it but at the same time the three-part exodus is not only my favorite episode of lost not only probably my favorite season finale of television ever but maybe one of my favorite episodes of television ever it's just it's so incredibly well done there's comedy there's drama there's character stuff there's action there's emotion out the wazoo and every single one of our cast members has something to do in this episode and i i cannot wait to break it all down with you all right we will break it down very soon for you as we get to the three-part season finale of season one in the next episode of down the hatch and then we've got our final show of season one our wrap-up show coming your way in two weeks get your feedback in for that down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch is the way to do that on apple find us on your podcast app of choice we will be back in just a week's time with the launch of the raft. Take care, everybody. Bye. In Australia, she worked on a peach bomb, a runaway Canadian dream. Since then, she's become the MVP leader of Oceanic A15. Polar bear cages in season three are coming your way, but thankfully not for a while. Season one, yeah, this episode of Lost 